If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. Yeah, there goes. Sending out good vibes. I'm really going to miss you, acknowledging that he was dead. And I said, I love you. And we hugged and I woke up. But the, f- the crazy thing was when I woke up, I felt different than when I went to bed. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grammarica Show. Uh, we're going to be talking with Joshua Black, PhD, a little bit later about uh, grief dreams. He's a grief dreams researcher. He's, he's going for his PhD. Going he's not quite his... there yet. Well, I, I'm pretty confident that Joshua is <laughs> going to do just fine. So we're going to go ahead and call him a PhD today. <laughs> and uh, of course, we got friend of the show, David W. Matheson's back. We're going to roll out our first Skies Over America segment. There's going to be a little video to go along with this. So if you guys want to check that out, Graham will link to that in the show notes. Uh, speaking of Graham, the one and only... Uh, Graham, Wonder Calves Dunlop. Thanks, How's it going, buddy? Hey, good. How you doing? You like the calf ones, eh? Yeah. There you yeah, go. Lights me up. I should. I really should get the cam cat calf cam going again. No, it wasn't. wasn't good. Got good feedback. So welcome back, Dave. Hey, thanks. Great to be on with you guys. Yeah, we're gonna jump into some sky stuff later. I'm sure you got some juicy stuff for us. What do Definitely, you and. Uh... What's the uh, temperature outside up there? I was just outside actually, and it's, I want to say it's probably around minus five, so probably like 20, 23, 23 uh-huh. Fahrenheit, and <laughs> uh, snowing. There's about a half inch of snow on the ground. We're supposed to get 10 inches of snow in the next couple of days. <laughs> okay, great. So we're looking well. forward to that. It's supposed to be down to zero and into the negative Fahrenheit's. Or for us, <laughs> minus 20 or minus 17 or something like that by the end of the weekend. Great. Well, it's great to be in the igloo. That's right. The igloo stays relatively warm in the winter for the most part. When it goes down to minus 40, it gets tough. But hopefully that won't happen this winter. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it'll be like mild winter. Come on, global warming. I can handle minus 5 to minus 5. Like the 5 degree to minus 5, it's okay. It's minus 5 right now. Yeah, that's okay. And it's about 55 degrees Fahrenheit here. It was a nice warm day in California. No snow. No snow. Has it ever snowed there? Yeah, it actually does snow where I live, um, but only once every few years where I live. It snows up in the Sierras and things, you know, Lake Tahoe. We get a lot of snow up there. Cool. That's what gives all the water for Southern California is the snowpack from the Sierras in Northern California. Right. thought there was no water. <laughs> don't, so let I, me sidetrack, don't let me sidetrack your intro. Bro. So how you been, buddy? 
Me? Yeah, you. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about, uh, also talk about, like, we're going to do, did we talk about how we're going to do Skies Over Grand America? Is that yeah. what it is? And yeah, then, uh, we talked about all that. And then the Seaside, uh, Oh, you want to get into that? Like, I could, we, well, we don't have to do it right now. Oh, no, that's good. We could, yeah. Uh, right. no. Okay, there we go. <laughs> we had the new moon, dark sky. Which <laughs> okay, 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 okay. That's enough. That's enough. I planned to camp. No, I'm serious. Okay, that's good. We started seeing flashbulbs. Coming down. Oh, okay, that's good. Graham Dunlop. All right, let's hear it. So we we went to we had a potluck a potluck dinner and we had a little little chit chat beforehand and then we split up into two groups this time. So this is in uh, so David we're we're doing our normal sea city thing here. Was and, this after the mushroom trip? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Okay. That's a great jingle. I love that jingle. No, no, no. It's you should let still, you should let that one play all the no, way. No, it still makes me uh, flush. <laughs> makes Graham a little Graham's a little self conscious. <laughs> so, so we split up into two groups. One group went to Nose Hill, and then me and two other guys went further uh, west. And uh, it was super super windy night, but it was crystal clear, beautiful skies. Like I mean, you could see the Milky Way. It was gorgeous. And right when we got there, and we were starting to set up. We saw this uh, this light. That w- it wasn't a plane. It was a light. It did this little. What? See, no, see, just no, the way you're looking fine. at me already. No, 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 no. It's good. And it, and it, I'm trying to remember it now. And it and it, it did it did a couple weird flashes, and then it turned and it went uh, north, and it had a couple more flashes, and it was almost like what they call those power up things, right? And we were me and the one guy. Only two of us saw it out of the three, and we were laughing and we're like oh look at that look at that like it's crazy how it happens so soon and then we said if that's all that happens tonight that's fine like that was enough like it was worth the trip out there to see that one thing and then we shouldn't have said it because that was about it that was it yeah (laughs) we saw some shooting stars and one big streaker and and there was no satellites even like no satellites nothing like it was quiet out there there was a lot of planes there was some planes going across like we what were time sort of was in, it what time 11 9 no 9 30 9 45 or so really i should still have satellites so there. yeah it was weird like why some nights that are crystal clear you're not seeing any satellites uh we did see a few flash bulbs we saw a few little flash bulbs um let me just re- read the report here too yeah you guys did a report uh sort of yeah you guys have like official stationary no 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 you just scribble a notepad or do you have like a journal maybe we saw there well i'm just trying to so we'll see a few bits of uh, yeah we saw a few solitary flash bulbs yeah that was about it so yeah oh the northern lights so i did this meditation in the middle of it it was the fucking craziest northern lights over the trees like just like you see in the postcards so then we got a report from celia who were the with the nose hill group and she says where were you I thought you were in no. We were out west. We went out west. Secret location? Yeah. Same secret location? No, different secret location. And I don't like this one as much. I like the other one. There's okay. more activity. Probably under, so she, the other she, one's under a flight path. So she emailed. She says uh, she got a ringing in the ear at 930. 
message and then streaker after ringing stops and it says you're all doing really good relax well that's interesting i forgot about that then at 9:45, flash bulb super bright shiny white light uh sparkling ones slow start then flashing very often at first irregularly then regularly and often then back to irregularly over 50 too many to count so that's around the same time that we saw ours from the west about an hour and a half drive west what? And then they saw the Northern Lights as well, and they saw a couple other slow streakers and some flash bulbs. That's probably about the same time I seen mine too, when I seen that one that disappeared. Yeah, and then, uh, and then she said her son saw her first his first UFO. So she says, and from her journal, I told Eric we would go into the hot tub in the forest and build a fire and go stargazing, and maybe we would see a shooting star. He said, I will make a wish. Someone told me your wish comes true if you make. A wish when you see one the hot tub was out of commission but we played foosball and lit a fire we bundled up and eric and i looked at the big dipper and the milky way with a laser pointer he said it was like a lightsaber going forever into space i saw a falling star and told him he said he wished kenzie was with us that's his girlfriend he said he had never seen a falling star before but was hoping he might see one i told him we were also looking for ufos and that they looked like camera flashes he said hello aliens to the sky and i saw a flash bulb I told him to look in the spot where I was, and we saw about five more. We were so excited and squealing and laughing and shouting in the dark. He asked if this what it what it was that I did, and I said yes. He said I, he didn't know it was so much fun. We said thank you and looked more at the constellations. When he was cold and we got ready, I said goodbye to the sky, and he looked up and waved and said bye. Immediately, one more big flash bulb. He missed it, but wow. as soon as I pointed out... Where it was, a falling star went by just for him, his first falling star. Falling? So not shooting? You know, falling <laughs> would kind of describe what I see. Because I, I thought it was a satellite that just came out of the sunshine. Went around to the dark side of the earth. But yeah. It kind of looked like that, because it did kind of do like that, as it kind of trickled away in the and sunset. Then, and then he said, I wish Kenzie was here. He wished and went inside. So anyways, I thought it was appropriate for David's you know, skies over Grimerica to share like a starlit nighty night uh, experience that we had. Absolutely. That was really cool. That was a really cool experience. I bet you he'll remember that when he's, you know, our yeah. age too. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, when you're out past the city lights, the stars and the constellations, I mean, it's just incredible. It really is worth, I, the, worth the trip. I was looking at the Calgary map. Is Nose Hill actually a good place to, Nose Hill Park, is that a good place to look at stars? Uh, it's a huge. Nah, if you if you want up. if you have to stay in the city, it's the good place. If you're staying in the city, but if you're if you you want to try and get out of the city, but that's a huge park in the middle of the city, like right, a massive right. massive park. You gotta get a good like. I went out probably like forty minutes. Yeah, you got city kinda, limits, yeah. and you can still see a bit of it on the horizon. Yeah, like, we, you gotta we saw, go a good out from where we saw, we were. We saw light pollution from Calgary an hour and a half away, or now an hour away. We saw light pollution. Yeah, yeah, Sons but you guys have good mountains right to the west of you. Though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can be in, you can find some total darkness pretty quick if you need to. Yeah. Nice. I mean to. I went out, last time I went out, it was the moon. Now it's going to be fucking cold. Yeah. Through the sunroof, I guess. I yeah. Think. Now you can bundle up. I've done it in minus degree weather. You can just, you just got to just dress for it, layer up, put some hot shots in your gloves. So, Anyways, we kind of ruined it. Our consciousness ruined it because we said that was, if this is all we saw, that would be enough. And then maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. Very weird. 
Maybe. So what's uh, what's uh, what's you guys in lost this? your coherence? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what's in the skies over Great America, David? Yeah, so uh, you know, I I think that going out and looking at the stars is just a great hobby if you're able to do it, and uh, and obviously if you're in the middle of a big city or something, you may need to get out and get away. But right now we've got some fantastic, we are, there's always great stars out there. So if you can go out every night about the same time, you really start to, you know, become familiar. But uh-huh. uh, what I, what I wanted to um, talk, and maybe we won't get through all this, uh, you know, this is the first skies over Grand America, but I've got up there a little um, kind of itinerary. We can talk first about the moon. So, I think Darren just mentioned, you know, when the moon's up, it's, it does kind of drown out and we're heading right into the full moon right now. Mm-hmm. We're recording this on November 1st. So we'll have a full moon on November 3rd, but, um, I wanted to bring you guys over to show you my, uh, stellarium. So, you know, you can find out about what's going on in the skies from lots of different places. I'm going to tell you a little bit about how this relates to the myths. Are you seeing the screen with the uh, yep. constellations on it? Great. Yep. So, so this is actually the present time. So this is Stellarium. That's a free app that people can download, and it will track along with you for the time that it gets off of your computer. So it'll show like real time what's going on. So you can see the moon. I've enlarge the moon a little bit so that you can see it but that's going to really dominate the sky as it gets towards full but what happens is it rises later and later each night and when it's opposite to the sun that's when it's full so it really is getting close to right about at the middle of the sky at midnight here i'm forwarding up to midnight you can see we're almost at a full moon it's almost due south for us in the northern hemisphere but what's going to happen is I'm advancing the days as this is November 1st, November 2nd. So you see what's happening is the moon is rising a little bit later. So now I'm 24 hours later, pretty much the same stars. They've moved a little bit, but the moon isn't as far. And then here, this is full moon. Full moon happens on November 3rd for us in California. It's already November 4th in Greenwich, England. So full moon will be at uh, uh, like 10 p.m. Exactly the point of full will be 10 p.m. But really, it's a nuisance for stargazing. So the moon kind of drowns out. But it does help you if you know what constellation it's near. Like right now, tonight, the moon is very close to the great square of Pegasus. This is the great square. Can you see my pointer okay? Yeah, you bet. Yeah, so the moon, if you go out and... If it's not snowing, it sounds like it's snowing. It's, so yeah, you ain't have... seeing much out there right now here. But I mean, this would apply for okay. this would apply for what people would be saying, seeing, I guess, in in most of northern northern hemisphere, like USA and Canada. This would apply to right. So this will apply actually all over the world. So even in the southern hemisphere, you can see the stars that we're looking at. I put these grid lines in because this actually shows the celestial sphere so if i take away if i take away the ground i'm showing this for where i am on the map if i were to oh, i didn't want that let me take the get all those labels off 
If I take away the ground real quick. The only thing left on there is Uranus. There's there's Orion. Yep. So there's Orion rising up. So he's starting to rise. But I just took away the ground. You can see all the way down to the southern. So that'd be the south pole, right? That's so people in the southern hemisphere can see that. That what? But basically, that's like the floor. If we're orbiting, if you imagine us orbiting the the sun in your living room and going around a round table. The stars on the ceiling are going to be at the north celestial pole. The stars on the floor are going to be on the south celestial pole. So on the Earth, the people on the southern half of that ball are going to be able to see the south celestial pole, but we won't. We have the ground in the way. The Earth is in the way, but we can see the north. But that's what's on the floor and the ceiling. So the people on the ball can only see the floor if they're on the lower or southern half of the ball but everyone can see what's on the walls. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. So they can see this so band kind of here. everything between like uh, 40 and, and 40 is right. everyone and, sees. Right, but they're gonna see it upside down on the Southern half of the sphere. And so when I went to New Zealand, I was looking at Orion and Orion was upside down. Because Wait, I so was are you the saying the earth is round? <laughs> That's are you exactly fear mongering okay. us? <laughs> <laughs> so we can we can just, uh, we can talk about that for an hour. But um, all of, all of this explanation that I'm going to give you assumes a spherical Earth. So I just turned off half of your viewers, I'm sure. But um, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that anyone truly believes in a flat Earth. <laughs> I really I don't believe in a flat Earth. I don't even believe in flat Earth believers. I think it's, I think they're faking most of them. Now I'm really turning off. Some of us are shape agnostic. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so you know what? You can go out and enjoy the stars, even if it is a flat earth. Exactly. Okay. But for some so, reason you can see them all the way down to the horizon. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, here's, here's the thing. As we go further and further North, like if I were to dial this in for Calgary right now, what would happen is this. We'd lose horizon, some of that. That's right. This horizon here would be higher up. It would be covering some of these stars. And that's because basically the North Pole, I've turned a little bit towards the North. It's maybe a little, I'm staying cognizant of time, so I'm not going to get into a full-blown explanation. But basically what happens is the North Pole, as you go further and further towards our North Pole on the Earth, this North Pole gets further and further towards the top, towards 90 degrees. If Imagine yourself lying right at the North Pole as we're spinning. Yeah. The North Celestial Pole, the North Star would be directly over your head at 90 degrees up. It would and then never as move. We, as we, it, the whole sky would spin. Except they for the North start, Star? Right. See, the whole sky would be spinning. It is, I'm spinning it around right now. So the whole sky, because the earth is spinning, the sky is not really spinning. It's like you're lying in the middle of a record player and you're, if you're at the North Pole, your head is right at that little, you know what a record player is, Darren? Yep. yep. I, I, know, I know Graham does. I'm just, I'm just, pull, I'm just pulling your chain. So, so are we still, are we still in, this is a Calgary view still, like where we're... No, I'm no, this, okay. is, this would be extreme I'm down in North. California. Oh, that's California. I'm down in California. I'm down in California, but look, 
I'm pointing to. So, so you're looking at Calgary from California. What? I'm looking up. I'm looking up. The, we're not going to get through any. Well, this is north, this right? Way. North. I'm turning around. I can see the North Star from where I am. You can see the North Star from where you are, but it's lower in the sky for me than it is for you guys. So this whole sphere, as I go further north, look, I'm facing back to the south now. If I were to turn around and start trudging to the north until I get to Canada, what's going to happen is I'm going to be walking towards the northern part of the sphere that we're on. So actually the, the top of this celestial sphere is going to come closer. It's going to, I'm not explaining it very well. Let me actually move us to Calgary on this map and you'll see what I'm talking sure, about. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to, yeah, it should open up the North a bit and then we'll lose some on the South. That's what's going to happen. So now I'm going to click on somewhere near Calgary. Nope. I didn't even get far that, enough that, North. Yeah. That's I'm in Idaho. That's there pretty close. Yeah. yeah. There we go, Calgary. So now I'm going to take us to Calgary. So I'm going to go there. So, just to add, just I, don't, I don't want to get too. I don't want to get too bogged down in actually the the mechanics of the sphere. I want to show people what I'm saying is that. So now all these. Now I'm in Calgary. There we are. Yeah. So oh, now, yeah. basically, the horizon is higher. So this constellation this is sagittarius it's lower at this particular time and date oh my goodness i went all the way back to june so i was messing around with spinning the earth i went all the way up to 2022 sorry okay here we are so here we are on tomorrow's the skies over future gray america yeah so here we can the do that too we can pick days we can yeah, pick days right. in the there's, future there's uh so, this is aquarius right here there's the moon uh, orion so, but basically, this this horizon, this southern horizon, is higher up in Calgary than it is for me. So I can see further south than you. And your this north celestial pole is higher above your head because I've moved up the sphere. So now, if I go back to Paso, if I go back to where I am in Paso Robles, California, Paso de Robles, California. If I go back to my default location where I am, I want to go home. Take me home. What does Dorothy say? Uh, there's no place like home. So I'm trying to get back there. That's maybe uh, uh, uh. <laughs> middle of the ocean. Anyway, now I came back towards the south. See how much higher these constellations are? This same day. But oh, yeah, now, that little bird you couldn't even high. see before. Right. So those are underneath the southern. See, the curve of the earth is blocking those out for you guys. But I'm going to try and talk about constellations that people can see pretty much from all over the globe. Sure. But I know we've got a hard stop. So um, but you see what ha what happens is as we go further north, it's like it's like the bulge of the earth for you guys is blocking out for the stars that are further south as you're looking you're, we're all looking towards the stars on the wall, but as you go further up towards the top of the ball that's in the middle of the room, the as you're if you try and look further south for stars that are lower on the wall, the curve of that ball gets in your way. Yeah, got it. So that's stuff that anyone can tell you. What I want to tell you is that 
all these constellations, I think it makes it much more meaningful to go out and look at them when you realize that all the myths, all the mythology of the whole world is based on these stars. And I can show you which a few myths that are based on the stars that we can see at this particular time of year, at this particular time of year. So that's what I wanted to do tonight. And, and what you need to know though, the reason I started with the moon is that as we move forward through the month, now I'm, I'm moving forward. The moon is going to rise later and later. So full moon really blocks out the stars. But after full moon, it really starts rising later and later, and it starts to wane. It starts to get thinner. So here at 11 p.m., the moon is only just coming up when we get to the 7th. And as we continue, the moon is going to rise later and later. It's like it's being overtaken by the sun until basically it rises just a little bit before the sun, meaning like at you know 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. So you can watch the stars all night. So that'll be closer to like, I guess that'll be closer to the 11th or the 12th. Yeah. So new moon is when the sun and the moon rise together. And that's what we saw, Darren, when we went and saw the eclipse, the new moon was blocking out the sun. That's right. Yep. So the, the moon and the sun rise together, but because they're on a different orbital plane, they only the moon only blocks out the sun when the moon happens to be orbiting on the exact same, passing through the same plane that we see the sun on. Because the moon's orbiting at a slightly, it's like a d- tilted plate. If we're in our living room again, and the moon's going around that earth, it's like you have a plate that's slightly tilted so the moon's orbit doesn't always block out the sun. Otherwise, we'd have a solar total solar eclipse every month. It'd be month. cool if we had one every day. Yeah. Boom. Well, so, actually, just one a month. Yeah, I guess that'd be right. So we'll have a new moon. So new moon is a really beautiful phenomenon. So I just wanted to talk about that real quick before we get to the constellations. But every month, even though it's not a total solar eclipse, you get a new moon. And our new moon this month will be on November 18th. And I love new moon and i love the day after new moon so it'll be at um 11 universal utc or greenwich time at uh on the 18th it'll be at 11:42. that's the exact point of new moon but basically this the the moon on new moon has got its shot it's it's illuminated side towards the sun and its dark side towards us. That's why when we were looking at that solar eclipse, the moon was black. It was this black disc that moved in front of the sun because it's the dark side was towards us. So you can't even see the moon on new moon. You can see it when the very first illuminating edge of it starts to rise and I'll show you what happens. So let's go, let's go real quick to like, um, like 4 a.m. on the 17th. So here's the moon. So maybe you can see a little tiny sliver. See that little tiny sliver? Yeah, right before the sun rises. Right before the sun rises. This is the east. The sun's going to rise, but we're at 426. So this is like the opposite of what's going to happen after the the sun is overtaking the moon. The, the, the sun is going to pass the moon because the moon's rising later and later. So on the 14th, 
Now the moon is rising very close to the sun and there's only a very thin sliver. The planet Mars is up before the sun. And then what'll happen is on, as we get closer and closer, it's gonna get basically thinner and thinner until you don't see it at all. And then you won't see it again. So after the 18th, you see it rising after, you see the moon after the sun goes down. And so they used to watch for this. The, the ancient priests of Egypt, they would watch for when they could see that first sliver. Now the sun has passed up the moon. Are you, are you tracking with me? Yep. yep. So now you won't see the moon until the sun goes down. Or you'll, you might see that very thin sliver. Whoops, let me get us back. So on the 18th, you won't see anything. It's a new moon. But on the 19th, you might be able to see that very thin sliver right after the sun goes down or on the 20th, you might catch. Now you can see this very first illuminated edge of the disc because it's the sun that's illuminating it. I, I don't think any of this works too well with a flat earth, but I, I'll just, I'll leave that alone. So, so basically anyway, it's so, like from the 15th to the 20th, there you're like prime star watching nights this month. Prime. And even when the new, even when the moon is very new, when it's just this very thin sliver like this, it's it's going to go down very close to the sunset. So the sun will set, and then you'll see this beautiful thin crescent, and then the moon will set. That's still good viewing hours. But then as it gets later and later, or as we go further through the month, now the moon is going to start getting fuller and fuller again. Okay? So your prime viewing time is like after the full moon, wait a couple of days, now the moon's going to be rising later and later and getting smaller and smaller. You've got good viewing all the way until the new moon and then even several days after the new moon. Yeah. And then it starts going towards. So anyway, I just wanted to get that out of the way. Let's let me erase. Um, let me. So then we can call that in the future episodes, we can call that like the sweet spot and we can just kind of identify that as being like right. December 12th to 23rd or whatever, you know, whatever you think that the best days will be for the month. Right. So I wanted to get that. I wanted to start off with the moon, but now I'm just going to take the moon and not even show the moon and get those out of there. I've got a little delay, but let's talk a few constellations that you can see. I know we're coming up on, what do we have about six minutes left? Seven minutes left? Uh, 10. 10. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great. So Graham at the beginning of the intro was talking about when he was seeing the Milky Way, when he was out being the sea SETI star. Right. So you can see the Milky Way still, but it's starting to rotate towards the West. So let me show you. Oh, I also want to talk about real quick, a little bit of meteor shower real quick, because we are approaching the trail of a comet that gives us the Leo meteor shower. I just want to show that real quick and then we'll go into a few constellations. Whoops. Um, let me stop sharing this screen. and share where we are in the actual heavens. I was Take looking a look at, at the this. Big Dipper yesterday. That one's a bear, though. We read a new myth that says that it's is. a bear. I like that uh -huh. one better. And then there's two guys, chase, the kids chasing the bear. Yeah, so, and you can search for all these constellations on my blog, and I've talked about different, like, Bible stories that relate to that one. Um, so, but... It's around the world. It's a, uh, 
shows up as a bear in different myths. But here's where we are. This is actually a pretty cool little website called inthesky.org. So this is Earth. This is the trail of a comet that we're going to be coming up on on November the 18th. Is Ooh, right on new that, moon. Yeah, so it'll be a good time for seeing shooting stars. So these shooting stars are often the remnants of the tail of a comet or the paths, passage of a comet. So I just want to show you real quick this other uh, this app called, uh, it's online, it's called inthesky.org. And let me see here. Here, this is a pretty neat little app. Can you see? This is this. This is our orbit around the around the sun. Here's where Earth is in November. And the cool thing about this app is it's got a little up top here. We can move the Earth along, and the, you'll see where the different planets oh, yeah, are. Cool. So as we're moving along, so here's where we'll be during the month of November. So as we're spinning, you'll see, this is why you see Mars before sunrise, because we're spinning, looking from the top down, we're spinning in a counterclockwise fashion. If we're looking from north down, we're spinning in a counterclockwise fashion. So as we come around, you'll see Mars just before we keep spinning around and uncover the sun. So Yeah, we see I'm that in the in. morning now. Yeah, that's right. So you see Mars a little bit in the morning. So this is the only really good planet right now is at night is Saturn. But see, nighttime is when we're facing out this way. See, this is us on Earth. When we're facing away from the sun is when we can see all these stars. But right now, all the visible planets are pretty much on this side. So you can't even see Uranus or Uranus or Uranus. You can't even see that with the naked eye. So that's what I was going to ask you about. Actually, is how how did they how did they know so long ago that uh, that that's where it was? Well, uh, um, we can't get into that. Okay, that'd be a little bit of a sidetrack. Okay, well, okay, well, wait. I want to give I want to give you guys a few myths. But anyway, that's a really cool app where you can see the the planets moving. But what I was on that screen was showing you was that as we get along in November, we're coming up to the tail of that comet. That's going to give us a meteor shower called the Leonid meteor shower in uh, the early morning hours, pre-dawn on the 18th. But you can read about all that stuff. There's all kinds of great resources on the web to read about what you can see in the sky. What I can tell you about is how it relates to actually these sacred stories from all these different cultures. So that's what I want to uh, really focus in on. And in the interest of time, I'll just pick a couple okay. because I know you guys have a hard stop for your marathon of interviews. So very quickly, this Milky Way here, this is the Milky Way. You can see these two beautiful birds in the Milky Way of Aquila the eagle and Cygnus the swan. If I were to zoom in just a little bit, oops, I zoomed out. Here we go. <laughs> Zoomed in too far. Sorry, guys. Um, those are sinking further towards the west. What happens is as we move through our orbit each night, we're moving around that dining room. So the 
stars on the wall. We're going to leave some stars behind as we go around. So these stars are moving towards the west, but you can still see these two great birds flying towards one another within the Milky Way. They're very large. So Cygnus the swan is pretty easy to identify with this kind of very bright triangle here, and it's flying towards Aquila the eagle. And there's a lot of great myths that use these two birds. They show up in myths around the world. A lot of times they're associated with the making of fire, and that's because they're positioned right inside the Milky Way galaxy, which looks like it shows up in myths in a lot of different ways. It can show up as a river, but it can also show up as smoke or a fire, and you can see why that is. Yeah, it looks like a fire down on the horizon for sure. This is the galactic center. This is the galactic core. So this is the brightest part of the Milky Way, and it's right between Sagittarius and Scorpio. But now, after the sun goes down, Scorpio is already pretty much below the horizon, unless you're maybe down at the equator or something. But what I wanted to show you is, so those are starting to, these, this is very prominent in the summer, and there are a lot of very cool myths, but I want to give you some myths that relate to what you can see in the night sky during the month of November. So what we have coming up, this great square of Pegasus, very important. And we talked about it a little bit last time, the Pleiades and Perseus. So that's what I really wanted to just, I didn't know how, how long we would have, but we've got a few more minutes. So I want to tell you a little bit about the story of Perseus. He shows up in a lot of myths, but this is the figure of Perseus and his foot is pointing towards the Pleiades. So right now I've got us facing towards the south. He's rising up in the east. So the reason why this horizon is curved is because it's simulating if you were to look to the left while you're standing, it's almost like you're in a, a shoebox and the walls yeah. are wrapping around you. So Perseus, if I were to turn us towards the east, you can see that Perseus is actually rising, and so is Orion in a more horizontal position. You see that? Yep. What they do is they rise horizontal, and as they go across the sky, they become vertical, vertical and then, and then they, they lie back down. And they sink back down. So the reason that Stellarium shows you, if I'm facing to the south, the 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 horizon curving up on the east is to show that those guys are actually lying down. The horizon doesn't curve up to the east if you're standing outside. If you turn to the left, those things, you have to imagine that that ground is flat. Those things are going to be lying more like this. So you're going to see Orion rising up, this massive figure rising up with his bow and his three belt stars coming up right around you know, by 9 p.m., he's already clear of the horizon. Where are we? I think we're back in California. So he may rise a little bit later where you are. But Perseus is already up. Can you see Perseus here? Yep. Now, notice he's got this curving oh, hand. Yeah, a little like he's got, he's like Captain Hook. He's got one hand that's like a hook. He's also got one foot. You see how that is twisted? Yep. The foot looks like it's twisted. There are myths where there is a character whose foot gets twisted. Um, and a lot of times those, 
that is a clue that you might want to check out a correspondence to Perseus. So let me switch over my screen. I know we're we're uh, We're okay. Running up. We're okay. Uh, yeah, we're okay. getting there. We're okay for a bit. Good. Let me show you some ancient Greek pottery that shows the figure of Perseus to show that this these outlines were understood in ancient times. So let me go to this PowerPoint slide that I prepared for you guys. Here's a vase or vase. This is an ancient. This is a piece of ancient Greek pottery. Now this is Perseus. Do you guys know who Perseus encounters in his challenge? Medusa? <laughs> exactly. Good job, Graham. <laughs> you remembered from last time. <laughs> no, no, we didn't talk about it last time, no? I think we did. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, good job, Graham. Don't steal his, don't steal his moment. So that is Perseus holding the, 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 the base curves yeah. right here, but that is the head of Medusa. I put a green arrow pointing towards her. You see that? Yeah. And then That's he's the got head the hook of Medusa. The foot. Okay. Well, yeah, his foot. But let me call his attention. Let me call your attention to the shape of his sword. You see the sword that he used to cut off Medusa's head? Yep. Looks like a scythe almost. Yeah, like like a scythe or a. Uh, it's got a special name in Greek, so a Greek scholar could tell you that. But you see that curve? You remember the shape of the outline of Perseus? Like he had that hook? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The stars, now you, you have to have a bright, uh, a dark night. You have to get away from the no, uh, light pollution to see it. But you can see those stars of that hook. Here's another ancient Greek pottery. He's wearing a uh, winged helmet because Hermes, the god Hermes, loaned him this helmet to help him in the fight against Medusa. But you see that this curved sword is very distinctively drawn there? Yep, that's the hook again. Right. Now he slays Medusa. I want to show you. This is an ancient Greek or Etruscan, maybe. I don't remember which one it is. Outline of Medusa. But she is often depicted with a very deep knee bend, very deep knee bend. She's got almost like a beard. You know that Medusa has this rim of snakes, but she's winged. She's got wings. She's got this fringe of snakes all the way around, almost like a beard. Here's another one of her. Often she has her tongue out, very deep knee bend, okay, and wings. Oh, that's the same shape. I drew it. It looks the same. Yeah, well, no, this isn't Perseus, though. So this is actually a different constellation, Hercules. Um, this no, I mean the knee... two Medusa pictures look the oh, same. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. right, right on. Here's another one. Here is Medusa chasing Perseus. Or this, actually, this is one of Medusa's sisters. She, there's three Gorgon sisters they, after Perseus cuts off the head of Medusa, the other two give chase, and he has to get away. But he has Hermes' cap of invisibility, and he has winged sandals in order for him to be able to fly away. But um, this outline of Medusa, this outline matches up with the constellation Hercules. This is the constellation Hercules. And you might say, well, wait a minute, where is he in the sky you can't see him very easily this time of year, but this is important for the myth because now I'm going to go back to Stellarium. We'll probably have to finish on this, 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 uh, this one, but maybe we can do another one. We can do another one in 14 days if you want yeah, from yeah. the moon. And yeah. I can do a few more, but let's go back to share the screen. 
because this is really quite interesting, I believe. Uh, <laughs> I believe it's fascinating. I believe all these, this is ancient wisdom. I mean, we don't have time to get into it. I was going to tell you guys, I'm reading right now. This is Joseph Farrell, Babylon's Banksters. Yeah. I'm going to blog about this. If This is not just about banking and finance and dry stuff. This is about how actually there's hyper-dimensional hyperdimensional things going on with physics. These myths are talking about hyperdimensional truths. The ancients knew these hyperdimensional truths. What do the Gorgons do when they look at you or if you look at them? You turn you to stone. They turn you to stone. They bring you into the material world, out of the world, out of another dimension. Ah. Okay? So these myths, these are... I'm talking about them in a casual way just because I don't want going out to look at the stars to be intimidating. There's so many, you know, so much astrology or astronaut and astronomical terms that are in Greek or Latin and they're intimidating. Oh, where's Alpha Centauri or, you know, Beta Oriensis and people who aren't familiar with the stars might feel uncomfortable. So I want to talk about them in a way to where these constellations become your friends and you become comfortable with them. But when we're talking about the myths that are based on these stars, they're talking about amazing hyperdimensional infinite realm. They're using the stars to talk about the infinite realm. So let me talk quickly about Medusa, why it is that this constellation that's so far away from Perseus plays the Gorgons that he slays. Okay, here's Perseus. He's pretty high in the sky. I'm going to move out just a little bit. Okay, oh, I moved out too much. <laughs> I'm using this. Sorry, I'm using this screen that moves quite a bit with my. I'm t I got a touchpad here, but uh -huh. it's a newer. It's a newer version of Stellarium where I can make the lines nice and bright for you, so you can mm -hmm. see them. So I've got to zoom out just a tiny bit more. Just a tiny bit more. So here is Perseus's foot. Here is the Pleiades. They're right above the V-shaped Hyades, which is in Taurus the bull, which is above Orion. So let me see if I can zoom out just a little bit more. And I'm going to make Perseus head down towards the horizon. Let me see if I can show this to you because it's very cool. If I can just get my zoom to stop being hyperactive. All right. So now it's at 3 p.m. <laughs> you can't see any stars at 3 p.m. because the sun, sun is still up. Yeah. But look at Hercules. This is the Gorgon. This is Medusa. Okay. I've written about this in my book, um, Star Myths of the World, Volume 2, which is all about the Greek myths. I talk about the evidence that Hercules plays Medusa. Now, Hercules now at this time of year is starting to sink down into the west. You can barely see him. By the time the sun goes down, here we are at 7 p.m. Now the sun has gone down, okay? I've blotted out the sun so we can see the stars all the time. But if, it were, if you were outside, you wouldn't be able to see the stars until the sun went down. So when the sun goes down, look at where Hercules is. Mm -hmm. He's almost going down. But Perseus is rising. So there's a few myths that do this, and it's really cool that they do this. They'll have a figure who slays another figure. The one who's rising is the one, 
one who slays and the one who is sinking down is the one who's banished or driven out. So this happens with a lot of myths. So actually this happens with the Adam and Eve story. Okay. So let me go back. Here's Adam and Eve. When they are driven out of the garden, I have a video about this, but when they're driven out of the garden, the almighty puts an angel at the east of Eden with a flaming sword that turns every which way to keep them from going back to the garden with the tree of knowledge. That angel with the flaming sword is Perseus. Perseus. This is his sword turning in all directions. You see how it's turning in all directions? So in the Greek myths, when he slays the Gorgon, it's a hook. In the Bible, when he's placed at the east of Eden, after Adam and Eve have been driven out in the west, it's a sword that turns in all directions. In the Medusa story, Medusa lines up with Hercules. You can still barely see Hercules, I because I know how to find him. He's hard to spot when he's sinking down in the west. It's like he's upside down, because remember, this this ground is actually flat. So his head is starting to be downward. So you have to almost be looking for an upside down Hercules, but he is sinking in the West as Perseus, the one who slays the Gorgon is rising in the East. So we probably have to leave it there, but there's lots of myths, but this great square is also a cool one that people can um, go out and see. It's in between the it's actually in the fallen. Yeah, it's that's right. And actually, I've got some myths for you with Aquarius right here. But the best way to find this is Andromeda that Perseus rescues. He rescues her from a giant sea creature, by the way. There's Cetius uh, or Cetius the whale. There's this big whale. He's very hard to spot. So don't even. That's a hard one to spot, but this square is pretty easy to spot. So from Perseus, you can find Andromeda. She's chained to a rock. Here's the chains on her wrists. She's in between Perseus and the great square. And um, the best way to learn about these constellations is really to go out every night, but you've got to use the outlines of H.A. Ray. I've written about that. I've talked about it. And these are the outlines of H.A. Ray, but... Um, that myth of Perseus, it includes Andromeda, it includes her parents, it includes the sea monster, but I think the, the most important part is he slays the Gorgon. The Gorgon is what petrifies us or brings us into, these myths are all about actually our cycle of coming down from another dimension into this realm where we're in this physical body, but we actually still have contact with those other dimensions. So when you have, I mean, that was that there, you guys have had some spine chilling. It wasn't even a synchronicity where the guy heard the voice, right? Yep, and yep. What is that? It's, is it your higher self? It's a message from, you know, something that our ordinary physics can't explain, right? Yeah. All these things they're, they're, the ancients knew about, multidimensional reality. And in fact, as Joseph Farrell talks about our physics is there are people who with their physics are realizing in the most cutting edge physics, Hey, there's hyperdimensional reality. So we come down from this 
other realm into this realm, but we have to get back in touch with the spiritual realm as well. So we don't want to just be trapped in a body. We don't want to just be seeing people as their physical body. We don't want to judge people based on their uh, physical characteristics. We want to realize that every single person you're talking to has this infinite component. They're connected to this infinite realm. They're an infinite being. So you should treat them with, you know, dignity because you realize that about yourself. And, and so that's what I think this whole story is getting towards. It's talking about all these, all these kinds of things that, Hey, get back in touch with, don't just be, don't just reduce yourself and others to kind of, you know, these, uh, animal nature because yeah, you do have an animal nature, but you also have contact with the infinite realm. And that's what we're, when we're looking at the stars, we're looking at the infinite realm and all these myths are about the infinite realm. Well, I, I think we could probably see Hercules from here. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool it's to see. It's cool to see what we would like to show us this, to see what we would do so we can kind of keep an eye out for, uh, for the ones that we are We could definitely visible. see Perseus in the square. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, that's great, should, Dave. Yeah. We should jump into it. Um, support the show, guys. Check out comerica.ca slash support. Sign up for a monthly. Uh, do a one-time donation. We prefer a monthly, but we'll sell for one-time for donation. We understand if you can't uh, you can't do financial, there's a bunch of other ways to support the show, whether it's uh, review it or share it or yeah, send, spam send, grab. Yeah, send some stories and... Sign people up for the newsletter. Get some swag over at America.ca slash swag. And, uh, yeah, all that fun do stuff. Do it. That's right. And the other do thing it. you got to do is enjoy this chat. With Joshua Black. With Joshua Black talking about dreams. Yeah. The dream realm. Grief dreams. Tonight we've got Joshua Black here. He's working on his PhD about grief dreams. And he's got a podcast as well. We'll talk about doing all this research into um, into grief dreams, which is with a special focus on dreams of the deceased. So this should be really interesting. He's um, I've checked out a little bit of his podcast and stuff like that and uh, got some personal stories to share with him to see what he thinks. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Joshua. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, fellow Canadian as well. Forgot to mention. <laughs> Nothing wrong with being Canadian. That's right. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So um 
I don't know. I, I want to. I want to hold off a little bit for my my personal stories, but I definitely have uh, some to get your, you know, for you to get your take on. I mean, we might as well start with, um, I guess, what you're doing with your research and how you're moving forward with your PhD on this. Just give us a little yeah. bit of background. Yeah. Uh, so it's going really well. So in my last year, of the PhD program, and you know, I'm just really excited about the work that I am doing and the next study I have. Okay. On the on the on the foresight. So uh, I guess to go back is actually my, I did my MA also in this area. So I have a lot of experience, a lot of research uh-huh. in this on this subject. So the most recent study I did, it looked at why do certain people have dreams of the deceased and others don't. So what kind okay. of factors predict dreaming of the deceased? And then the newest one that I'm going to be looking at is why do we have, why do some people have negative dreams of the deceased and others have positive dreams? Because oh. those are the most common questions I get when talking to bereaved and when talking to those who work with them. And there's no current answers available because the study, the this topic hasn't really been explored. So we really know very little about this area, which is so surprising for me. Yeah, totally. Just, well, to me, it when, seems uh, like we don't know a whole lot about dreams, period. Well, that's because yeah. you don't dream. That's why. <laughs> well, actually, from what I hear, I do dream. I just don't remember them. Yeah, that's a good answer. Good answer. I like that. <laughs> yeah. It's true. There's not a lot of research. There is like uh, there is research out there, uh, especially on nightmares, like dreams after trauma. But when it comes to dreams after after grief, after someone passed away, there's not much at all. And what what there is that's out there hasn't doesn't really answer questions for the bereaved. So a lot of people give really bad advice in this area. A lot of people just don't know how to talk about it, so they like push it away. And so this is why I do what I do is to raise awareness and to allow people to start sharing these experiences that can be very very profound and life changing uh, for the most part. So yeah, I can't wait to. I don't know. I, I could I could talk about anything right now. So I'm gonna let it uh, let you guys sort of choose where we go from here. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Should we get it? Should I get into my personal story uh, with my sister and I, Darren, or should we get some more background first? Because we've done some talks. We, we talk should... about lucid dreams all the time on the show. Yeah, and, we do a ton and, of dream stuff. Yeah, yeah, I guess nothing like this. Though. No, I guess yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, how did you like what what got you? How did you end up down this road? Like. It wasn't by choice. I'll t- I'll tell you that. I uh, in my undergrad, I actually wanted to uh, what's best to put. It? I want to be an elementary school teacher, and so as you can see, I'm not that right now. And so what happened was the last my last year, my father actually passed away, and it was the first time I actually dealt with a loss of someone that was really close to me, mm-hmm. and it was it was a shock. Like I didn't know. I thought you know being so naive that, you know, a breakup of, you know, someone, you know, a girlfriend was similar to the feelings you get over a lot, like after someone dies, Um, but it's not really the same. (laughs) And so I was like in this like perplexed sort of state, like kind of numb, not knowing how to like figure out these emotions that were going through me. And I had all sorts of crazy thoughts. I wanted to drop out of school and and travel to Israel where like my dad really wanted me to go. And I just didn't know really what to do. And so the best thing I did was I went back to school, I pushed the feelings down like any good man does (laughs) and and you just keep moving forward. But like life wasn't the same and I wasn't that happy and the people around me didn't know how to help me uh, just because my friends never dealt with their own loss at that time. Mm -hmm. So really it's just about three months after he passed away, I had a dream. And in the dream, 
I was in my bed, like in my room, and he was like at in the distance at the other end looking through some of my clutter. And he turned around smiling. And I so I got out of bed and I'm like, Dad. And I walked up to him and I said, I'm I'm really gonna miss you, acknowledging that he was dead. And I said, I love you. And we hugged and I woke up. But the, the crazy thing was when I woke up, I felt different than when I went to bed. Hmm. Like there was just like this new lease on life. I like, I was like, oh man, that was so amazing. It was just something changed when I woke up. And I should mention why it was so important, uh, that type of dream for me at that time was because my dad died very suddenly and I never had a chance to say goodbye. So you can understand why there was probably some kind of comp, like looking back, I'm like, there's probably some kind of block within me that that actually helped undo. And yeah, it's almost it like closure just, even, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's something they never got to do. And it helped me move forward and process the loss. And, you know, as and I didn't tell anyone, which is the strangest thing. Because at that time, like, oh, it just helped me. And so I just moved on, did what I need to do. I continued school. But because he died, he actually was the one that wanted me to be an elementary school teacher. And so when he died, I had no drive to actually be an elementary school teacher. So I just decided not to do that. And I took a year off and I was, I didn't know what to do. So I just did what I knew best was like to help people. And so I went to help the bereaved. And a lot of these people kept talking about these dreams they're having or dreams that they want to have that they weren't having. And that's when I looked into the academic literature to see, okay, like how, how can I help these people? And there was absolutely nothing there. It was, it was, it, like with all the training I've done, I was so shocked because we've been alive since, you know, for forever. And we've probably been having these dreams since the beginning, since we were alive. So it's just like, this is not something new. It's like, it's been going on for our existence, mm -hmm. but yet no one's really taken the time to actually look at it with any sort of real detail. And so I said, okay, like either I'm going to have to wait for someone or I'll do it myself. And, you know, not being a patient guy, I decided to do it myself. And that's when I, you know, like where I was living at the time, I checked out a school, Trent University, and there was a, a person who studied dreams. I'm like, oh my God, this is perfect. And so I talked to her and yeah, she accepted me and that's what started everything. But it wasn't until I actually got into my MA and started doing the research and asking different organizations to help me with my research that I saw this different world of problems that people go through and biases and judgments. It's just like, and the stories that came through too are just like, some are really amazing. Some are very like sad. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm like, this is a bigger field than I even knew going mm -hmm. inside that time. I only had positive dreams. And like, so it was just, it's wild how, how far I've come and how much I've known through the, what has it been six years now? actually in this field. So yeah, like the stories are just endless and they're like, some of them are just like very paranormal. You're just like, you're like, what is going on here? And it just makes you sort of sit in the mystery of sort of this life. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you is, is about, um, you know, did this change your perception of reality at all? Cause it must've mixed in and overlapped with research into lucid dreaming and after death communication and, and all this kind of like sort of spiritual world stuff. Did, did you, were you open to that before? Or did this really change your sort of paradigm or did you, or maybe, maybe you haven't. I mean, did you open up to that possibility? Yeah. So before that dream, because that was like, I should mention that dream was very, very vivid, more like it's almost more real than real. It was just like, it was an interesting dream that I've had maybe one or two like that in my yep. entire life. Yeah. 
And so it definitely had some meaning. But before that, like I grew up in a in a home where my parents told me like it was a Christian home and they told me that the dreams were from the devil. So I never really tried to have I never had a positive feeling about dreams. <laughs> and then wow. if I did, I tried to sort of repress them or forget about them. So, you know, the devil didn't visit me in the night. But so what happened was when I, I suffered a breakup, it was probably six years prior to that to this dream, six years prior to my dad passing away. And what happened was I was like just looking for an answer. And I had this vivid dream that basically told told me what my I was looking for. And it helped me like problem solve in life. And it was very vivid, very different than anything I ever had before. And it was the first moment I realized dreams were different. Like not all, like there's something to this world of what's going on that I'd never experienced before. I never let myself experience before. And so, yeah, like I knew dreams were valuable as I moved forward, but this was different because this is like, it felt like a visitation. It felt it gave me sort of that closure. And at that time I, I did believe in an afterlife. And so I did sort of see it as my dad coming to me um, and like how beautiful that was. So, you know, like I never, there's other dreams after that I wouldn't say would be a visitation, which really was bizarre because very similar imagery, but the feeling was different. And I'm like, man, like what's going on here? Like you just, and I hear people, you know, they don't know if the visitation or not. I don't like try to judge it. Um, I just let them believe whatever they need to believe if it's a comforting experience for them. Yeah. But there's just these different feelings you get. And I'm, I'm just so perplexed, like why that is. Like there's so many different types of dreams you can have. And it's not just, you know, one dream, like or one type of dream. There's so many different, different things. And yeah, like you said, we don't really know why that is. And what, like, cause it'd be great if we could actually program ourselves to have these experiences every night. Yeah, totally. There, I feel like there's different levels, different types and different levels. Like sometimes you're deep into it and it's more like you are in a different dimension or there's a different sort of reality there. And sometimes it's more of a surface level. You're just sort of cruising through some sort of surface dream world. But, um, but to people like, was there types of, um, precognitive experiences through, you know, dreaming of deceased loved ones or anything like that? Did you catch some of, some of that overlap as well? Yeah, like it's it's fascinating how like before I didn't, uh, I just had my own experiences and other people's. But like the more you do this work, the the more you hear these stories and people just like come out and like tell you. And yeah, there's the precog dream of people knowing, you know, in advance that their loved one was going to die, and yeah. you know, like in that, and it's it's interesting because a lot of people, if they do have like if they do have that dream, they may feel almost like a sense of guilt or a sense that they were supposed to do something and they didn't do it. Mm-hmm. But it, I never really see it as that. I see it was just like preparation, you know, for you in some way to get your mind to sort of think about it. But the issue with a lot of these precog dreams is maybe if you have one, then you start thinking all your dreams are precog. Like people have a hard time differentiating, you know, what's a precog and what's not. And so, you know, that's the biggest issue when, when I, when people tell me different stories or they have these experiences, they can really get caught in this fear of, oh my God, they're going to die. Or if, like they had a dream of someone drowning and they're like, oh my God, like it must be precog. I won't let them buy water anymore. And you're like, I don't know. It's probably a fear you have to begin with because the, with dream research, it, it basically has shown that your fears, your anxieties, all that sort of stuff goes into your dreams. And so if that's a fear you have or something you've been worrying about, it's probably that. But there are these cases where they are people like have these experiences and it, it's a foretelling of the death. 
Um, but even at, like, so there's that there's also, which I love is these dreams that the, the of the deceased, which is very similar to, you would have like, a, I would call it a visitation dream or just mm-hmm. a comforting dream mm-hmm. where they say goodbye or that they love you and you have it in the night. They're alive still while you went to bed. But then when you wake up, you get a phone call saying they died during the night and you had this dream, but there's no way you could have known that the person died. But yet in the dream, they're saying goodbye. So it's like, you're like, what? Like, like, it just makes you like, it wraps your head around what's going on because they shouldn't have known that the person died, but they did because of the dream. So like there's, there's that, I don't know if you guys have questions on that stuff, but it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And you can even go forward when it comes to um, the deceased, like answering questions which is like kind of very like paranormal and almost. And so sometimes it's, if you're looking for something like a will, the deceased may come and, and basically show you where it is. I remember I got this one dream where the, uh, this woman was talking about uh, her, her father passed away and she, her father was getting sued. Uh, his corporation was getting sued, but he's dead. So she didn't know where the papers were. So, she was having a difficult time because she needed the papers to actually win the court battle. And then she had this dream where she was in the storage unit and there was a bunch of boxes everywhere. And then the deceased father was there and he went over to this coat. It was on this like barrel thing. And then he opened up the coat and showed it to her. And then she woke up. <laughs> so she, she went to the storage unit. And of course the coat's there with this like barrel thing. And she opened it up and all the paperwork was underneath the That's coat. That's crazy. Yeah, you're just like, like, what do you say to that? Yeah, exactly. So That's the it, thing. This does is it the always thing seem that... to have that emotional connection? Like, it seems like it, it has to be like that was her dad. So there's probably, you know, there's a lot of, of of emotions flying around there. Like, you can't hear of, like, someone who's, it's like their, their great-grandpa that they never met and they dream about yeah, them no, and I they think, had some, 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 yeah. something. Does that happen as well? Or is it always some sort of emotional it, usually they they know the person. I don't know if I've gotten anything from someone who dreamt of someone they'd never met before. Because I feel like has. emotion yeah. tends to play a big role in that, you know, whenever you start crossing dimensions. Well, it definitely <laughs> plays you know, well, play a, a big point. And, in yeah, that. And grief is like probably one of the most powerful emotions. So, I mean, that's yeah. probably if, if you can bend whatever it is you're bending, that seems like one of the times it would be happening. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it's just like, you're right. Like grief is such an emotional journey. And to, because the big thing is you never, you think you're never going to see them again. And then you have this moment where you're seeing them again and like what that does to you. And what's fascinating is that you don't need to believe that it's a visitation for it to have immense healing effects on you. Yeah. And I think that like, like, like that's something new I learned as I was doing this. I remember I was, I was doing a talk and this, I, you know, I did the stuff and then this woman came up to me saying, you know, I had this, I had, I had this dream where I was dancing with my grandfather and before the dream I was so depressed and I was just grieving hard. I had this, we were just dancing. She said it was the most peaceful feeling I've ever felt my entire life. And then I woke up and she's like, I, I'm not, and I've never felt grief for this event ever again. So I was like healed. I was like, that's fascinating. Not only because she was healed and she, then she said, I don't believe it was a visitation. So she didn't need, she didn't need that definition on it for it to have healing effects. But she also said it was the most peaceful feeling she's ever felt. So like in the dream world, like she had a new feeling because I think there's so much anxieties that we carry on, like in waking life 
there's something about, you know, if you can get into that place where it is peaceful, like, I wonder what that does in itself. Like, so is it the dream or is it just this peaceful place that's actually doing the work? I don't know. That's a great point. I mean, really, you, what if you are experiencing new emotions in there and it opens up a whole different level of contentment or happiness or just a whole new paradigm? That's crazy. Yeah, like if you, for a moment, like even you think of your own life, like there's not one moment you're not thinking about something, you're not like worrying about, like like that stuff's always there. You're thinking about the past and the future. And like in meditation, you're trying to get to that point where you're like, you're, you know, you're focused on, you know, just a moment, which mm-hmm. is very difficult. Mm-hmm. And, but this like the dream world, it could be done, right? Like like in a, in a dream, I'm not worried about the past or the future, you know, like for the most part. For like the it's most usually part, you're, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're usually just in the moment. And if the circumstances are right in the dream, then it could actually play a huge role in the healing process. Yeah, yeah. Before before I forget to to touch on the the thing you mentioned right at the beginning, which was um, what you were getting into recently, was like why do people have dreams of the deceased and what what types of people? Uh, and you mentioned something else, and I, I didn't make a note of it, but there was a couple points there that, that I found really interesting. Like you're digging into <clears throat> why the why of it. Hmm. Well, you know, that's because those are the major concerns people have. So the first one was, the first question is, you know, why are some people having these dream experiences and others aren't? Right. Because a lot of people were coming up to me and even uh, people who worked with the bereaved came up to me and basically said, you know, like, like, why is this going on? Because the bereaved sometimes will, will, if they believe it's a visitation uh, and they're not getting it, they'll say, oh, maybe they went to hell, you know, because they believe in this dichotomy um, and they can't visit. Uh, maybe say they went to heaven, but they um, uh, they just don't love me anymore. Like they just became a soul and just vanished into doing to doing something new. Other ones say, oh, they they're mad at me. They're holding back their visit because I had to sell the house or they didn't like the funeral or, or something. Right, that always goes wrong in, mm. in after loss. So they feel this guilt. Other times it's like they're in limbo and they just can't go. So there's a lot of these complications people put on themselves and there's never been anything like you could say that maybe it's not that, you know, like it's, that's nice. That's, it's your theory. And it's funny how our theories tend to actually hurt us better than help us. And so, and so I'm like, let's do, let's actually look at it scientifically. Can there be another thing we can give them or a reason explanation for why they're not having a dream? And so we looked at different things from, you know, uh, personality traits openness to experience, to attachment styles. We looked at uh, grief intensity and we looked at dream recall. And what was found was the biggest predictor uh, and the most unique predictor of them all was dream recall. So what it's saying is that the more you remember your dreams, the more likely you're going to remember one of these dreams. And so it also goes with the theory that people are probably dreaming of the deceased more than they're remembering it. Oh, and that's yeah. a huge finding to be able to to say that or to support that theory because now you're saying okay it's it's not them it may actually be you. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it sounds like your your subconscious fears and your your um your your assumptions about why or why not you're being visited have play a major part into whether you are or not. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you're not even remembering them subconsciously because you think that you're not supposed to be visited or you're, or there's some blockage there when really it's been happening. Yeah. And I think that's the thing about remembering dreams is, uh, you know, we're dreaming throughout our entire night. So, there's, but for whatever reason, we only remember certain dreams and it's still a mystery on why, like research hasn't figured that out yet. 
But, you know, this is just another example of that. And I can see if someone did, like really didn't, like I know there's certain people that have a belief that they're in heaven and then they're not allowed to sort of talk to you or whatever. And so if they did have a dream, they wouldn't want to even remember it because it'd be actually discomforting because it'd go against all their belief systems, right? So, you know, I can see you're probably, you know, what you believe has an impact in that and, you know, like what you're really longing for. I think there's some people who, um, but also their, their grief may play a huge role in, in that. But, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's been only a couple, couple studies. I looked at it through uh, after spousal loss and, and also through pet loss. And so that's another one. Mm. So, it, and they're both saying very similar things, but there's different things that can affect recall and grief's one of them. So you can, and the big thing with grief is that you have more nocturnal awakenings. So it really disrupts your sleep. And so the more nocturnal awakenings you have, the higher probability you have of actually remember these dreams. So it's not that you're grieving. It's about you're actually waking up during the night and you're, you, have a, you have a better probability of catching these or just remembering a dream in general. Was so there, it's like... Under, no, keep going. No, I was going to say, by understanding that, just realizing, okay, so it's about dream recall and there's ways to actually um, increase your dream recall. And the first thing is to take all dreams like, as, as meaningful. And you can, by doing this, you can keep a dream diary. That's a, a really good way of doing that. Start talking about your dreams with others, asking people about their dreams, not just like dreams of the cease, but just all dreams, because that's the goal, right? If you can increase your dream recall, then you'll have probability, a higher probability of probably remember one of these dreams. I remember when I did that, I, I usually remember uh, one dream a night and I started uh, making this doing a dream journal. I started remembering like four or five a night and I just couldn't take it. So I, had, I actually had to stop and now I'm back to one. So I know like for me it worked and, and, uh, <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. It worked for me a bit too. I mean, it was hard cause it takes that extra few minutes in the morning and you got to do it right away. Like I started using a voice recorder on my phone instead of uh, writing it down because <clears throat> I would just scribble, scribble shit down in a journal. I couldn't even decipher it later on. I was so tired. So I'd, I'd just like <laughs> click on the voice app and just like blurt it out into, uh, you know, into my phone. But um, is there, was there any, any things that um, like behaviorally that you found that people would stop people from remembering dreams, like smoking too much pot or stuff like that? <laughs> no, I haven't uh, actually looked at that yet, but <laughs> I know like there are certain like medications out there that can disrupt your, your dream recall or increase the negative dreams you, you have. So it can, like, it can sort of have an effect in that way, but you know, in exactly what those are, I'm not too sure. Um, but like it would state, there should be studies out there that looked at some of that stuff, but, uh, yeah, there's no, I don't know if there's any drug to increase dream recall. Like, I haven't seen that. Yeah. I think there's some yeah. that, uh, teas that? maybe. Yeah. Teas I think it'd and... be more like herbal stuff. I bet. Yeah. There's a, I got, it's I hard got, to know. Yeah. I bought a supplement called lucidamine and then apparently if you take it with five HTP and a couple other things like that, you can increase it, but it didn't really seem to, to do anything for me. But it's tough too because you know, like, it, just because it says it on a label doesn't mean it actually is true. It could be that it just opens you up because you believe. You know, it's like the placebo effect. You yeah, start believing, be. yeah. right? Like that it's supposed to help, so you do start. Yeah, and you know, it a... could just be valuing dreams. And that it yeah. had nothing to do with what yeah. you're taking. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good point. It could be the that act the act of it more so than the the herb. But I mean, there's a couple of things like galantamine. I think that is well known for hundreds of years to help with dreams. So I mean, there are some interesting, you know sort of ancient uh ancient uh tools 
to help. Yeah. Yeah. The shamans probably would have some, you know, different herbs and like uh, ceremonies and stuff to increase dream recall. Yeah. So there's probably stuff out there. Um, But yeah, I don't know. We like, I'm not going to endorse anything on here except the the dream journal. (laughs) Exactly. No, that is a, that is a powerful thing. I mean, you know, and of course we went through the whole lucid dreaming thing here too, where we, you know, you figured out there's the wake back to bed and there's all these different methods of trying to become lucid and, you know, wake up and, for a half hour in the morning and go back to sleep and mm. it's easier to become lucid there, which, which kind of in in some ways helps with dream recall as well. I mean, cause the whole act of trying to become lucid, uh, you know, a huge part of that is, is trying to remember your dreams. Yeah. I've only had one lucid dream my entire life. Yeah. 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 It's, it's <laughs> so hard. It's pretty it's cool. Hard. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> so but go yeah, ahead. Go no, no, you can go. Well, I was going to talk about, um, do I get into my sister's experience here then? We'll get the personal, get your take on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Let's do it. So my dad passed away as well. And uh, a few years, I, I've got, the, I'm going to sort of ramble on a little bit here, but I'd really like your take on this, Joshua, because um, I talked to her about it yesterday just to get it fresh in my head. But I've always remembered remembered this. And there's some sort of different components to it, but... Basically, she's had a few different dreams that she's thought of, and it's the same way you said it. Like it was more than a dream, you know. It was a, it was like a visitation and a journey with uh, with my dad. So she, the, I think, one of the first ones she had is uh, she Who's was she? my sister, you, my sister. Oh, your sister. Okay, yeah. Okay. Is uh, she was on the? She had there was all these spirits on the balcony. And, um, she was scared to go out there, but she knew my dad was there. And so she felt safe. And I think she was leaving a couple friends that were partying in her, in her, in her place. Hmm. And it was a dream of her place in, in West Van, which was kind of overlooking the, the water a little bit. Um, and dad took her on this journey through the stars and like all around the planets and this thing. And he, and he was explaining to her how, it was uh, like the potential of this and, and how you could take pictures of it or visualize it or there was some sort of art, art, um, art, uh, how, how would I even say it? Like it was kind of about about the space and the art and the potential of it. And the interesting thing is my sister ended up in, in virtual reality business and the gaming business developing like these actual, you know, not her developing it, but working for the companies that developed this thing. So that, that, that wasn't the, that wasn't the main thing with one of the things was she was on this, um, on this balcony, there was a bunch of monks there telling her a secret and they were whispering to her, um, about the secret, the secret, you have to watch the secret and all this. And they showed her a bunch of symbols and everything. And she was, she always remembered that being there. And a week later, her friend gave her the secret to watch that movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it changed her, it changed her life. Actually, that was part of one of my big shifts in, in life as well was through that secret. Um, so my dad and these monks, you know, they even showed her on an old TV, apparently this thing. So there, that's a couple of dreams there where dad was really, really present in a visitation type way. And then, that's um, so, yeah, yeah that's couple, pretty, let's, let's talk about that. I think that's really amazing. That she had that dream and it actually turned out to be very helpful and it connected to something that was coming to her in the future. So it was almost mm-hmm. as it's like precognitive quality to like really look out for this thing and of the, the secret as he sort of talked about that it sort of helped shift her. 
I think that's really cool. She actually, hey, her dad took her through the stars. That, that's correct, right? Like, yeah, yeah, man. Took her through like, space, like took her on a fly, like sort of flew her through space and ex- explained to her, like, you can see all this, or this is like the potential of, and all this beautiful, like, sights of planets and stars and wow. galaxies and stuff. She actually experienced something she never would experience in reality. Exactly. Like, as a human, I think that's wild. Yeah, and then, and so then, and the other thing she said to me is, we told dad to contact us from the other side before he passed away. We were telling him that, like, Dad, contact us from the other side. Like, did you ever say, like, how? No, <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't well, remember. Very ambiguous to him. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, "Well, how do you want me to do that?" We should have. We should have been more specific. So then, so then, so then, she went to a psychic a couple years after that, and she lined she lined this up and told me and my mom. So she had evidence. She says, "I want the psychic to tell me that Dad has been visiting me." through dreams that are more than dreams. She specifically told my mom and me about that. She went to the psychic and she has a recording and the psychic said, your dad's been visiting you in your dreams. And those are more than dreams. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Cause it really helps, helps her believe even more. Right. And helps you believe even more that there's something more. Yeah. Than, like I'm not sure you know, why she wanted to do and that. And also like, what is that? So it makes you even more curious to sort of what's going on in the sort of afterlife. Yeah, exactly. Like how does the psychic know that? And then how does dad, you know, how does dad mm. does make contact with her? And it does change her life. Like that secret movie, she ended up uh, copying it. And I mean, you know, you can say there's all these you know negative things about that movie as well, but it did change a lot of yeah. people's lives. I mean, she made copies mm. and passed it around to her friend. She gave it to me and it took me years to watch it. And when I finally did, mm. that was a turning point in my life too, actually. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's really what it's about because, yeah, there's negative stuff in a lot of different things and how they say it and what they focus on. But, yeah, like if you can take something to propel you forward in your own healing and your own self-love and what's possible, then, man, that's a great thing. And I think that's why even with these dreams, the one thing I commonly hear, and I'm guessing this is what you guys feel too, is the sense that you're still being almost cared for, you're being watched over, and you're also being you're – still, you're still loved, and there's something to say about that and those feelings because, you know, in, in the grief journey, that's one of those things that hits us the hardest is that, you know, that they're not there physically anymore, but you're not getting their love anymore because they're not physically there. So you're transitioning into, you're not seeing them physically, but they're still loving you. So you're only having to come to terms with one thing, which is seeing them physically there, but you still have their love. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah, I don't know if people would think about it that way. Huh. Yeah, well, like you hear so many dreams, you start like seeing a pattern, and that's one of the biggest ones. So when it comes to comforting themes, like when the deceased comes, they're usually saying they're okay, first of all. And the second one was that they love you in some way or that there's a feeling of love. And you wonder, why is that? Because they could do anything, but why that? And you have such a short time together, usually. That's um, usually shorter than other dreams. And... So like, what's the most impact they can have on your life? And it's usually those, that, that those feelings, um, because that's what you're, you're longing for in waking life. So a lot of these people, when I, when we look at dreams, we, we know that, you know, dreams reflect waking life. And so by looking at this stuff, any kind of dream, negative or positive, even these positive visitation type dreams, what's amazing is it still reflects your waking life because if it's a spirit, they would know what you need. And so it's reflecting, you know, what you're going through. 
And so they, they say remarkable things in, sh- in such a short time. Like I remember this one dream where this girl was just, um, she was on the bed and she was crying and then her, her brother came and basically says, you know, like, there's nothing you could have done, babe. Things are just supposed to happen that way. And it changed her life because she was at that time thinking she had all this guilt that she could yeah. have saved them and yeah. all this sort of yeah. stuff. So it's, it's yeah. in one line, it's like this yeah. stuff just changes people. So that's, I think it's really cool. Um, but yeah, yeah. So what's the, what's the uh, next dream she had? Well, no, that was pretty much, I mean, oh, that oh, was, okay. I think okay. that, yeah, that was the two sort of main ones. I mean, she's had a couple more since then, but it was really like the ones with the monk in that, on the, you know, in the, in the, bal- in the spirits on the balcony and then the, the space journey as well. So, so did you, is there negative ones that like, have people had, uh, um, negative visitations or negative um, dreams about deceased ones, and did that provide any healing at all, or was there any? Is there any examples of that? Yeah. So for the negative dreams, they they are common, they're not as common as these comforting type themes. So first, there's the almost like reliving the trauma over again. So this is like the deceased is dead, dying, or ill mm-hmm. throughout the whole dream. And so this is very sad, like to even like get because you know they're the person's dying again. And they're trying to save them, they can't, or they're just dead through the whole dream. And so just like it's just very traumatic for them. And so a lot of people actually don't want to go to bed because they they have start having these dreams, these negative dreams. And so that's why I'm trying to really raise awareness how there's so many different types of these dreams. And there's some people give bad, so much bad advice. Some people say, oh, that's, you know, like <laughs> people, uh, some people say oh, like a, a, a negative dream is actually a visitation. It's just the only way for you to um, remember it, and which, which is really bad. I, I, I would never say that. Um, it probably just reflects your waking life in some way, <laughs> something you're going through. Yeah. And so there's, yeah. So, so there's the other one where it, they're not dying. So they're alive again. But this time they're actually causing you discomfort in some way. So they could be chasing you. They'd be, you know, um, criticizing you for something you've done. Maybe you sold the house and they're criticizing you or you started a new relationship and they're criticizing you. And so these dreams, some people will take as uh, a negative visitation or haunting if they, you know, um, I had a couple of people say that. And so the issue with that is um, what we know about dream research is that Dreams after trauma or after any kind of negative event, those those dreams should be negative. And so it actually, you should be having negative dreams of your deceased just because of what you're going through. And what I'm finding is that before you start leaping to say they're haunting me, mm. start looking at your your grief. Is there something going on with that? Do you have any blocks? And usually mm. it's very easy. You have anger towards something, them, the doctors, someone else or you have guilt for something you've done. And they're just basically, that dream is just a reflection, is like a mirror to sort of what you're actually not, what you're going through and what you still need to work through. And so I always say work on those issues first before you start jumping to it's a negative haunting or something. Because the reality is what my research is showing that people who have negative dreams will also tend to have these positive dreams. And so what that's saying is that usually probably when you deal with your stuff, some of those blocks, those dreams will change. So it's not a negative haunting because negative haunting be negative dreams throughout your whole life. Um, so it's just like, it's it's very interesting to, to note that and to get people to start understanding what is this dream trying to tell me? What do I need to work on? And what am I avoiding? And so that's why I'm really, that's a big thing because a lot of people just talk about these comforting dreams, but it's these negative dreams that are also taking effect and like hindering people as they move forward. Interesting. 
What about what about dreams that are um, not necessarily uh, deceased loved ones, but could be still considered grief dreams? Like, let's say, uh, you know, laid off from a job or or disaster, like after post disaster dreams, or even even like for me, I'm in uh, <clears throat> you know addiction recovery, and I'll have like using dreams, like ten years, mm-hmm. almost ten years after, like nine years after becoming clean clean and sober, which actually happened to be after watching the secret that my sister gave me. Um, oh, damn. Um, Good for you. Yeah, and my dad actually played a part in, in that whole, div- I, I call it divine intervention, but there was a weird story. Uh, I won't get into it here about dad sort of intervening at that point as well. Um, but uh, what about like other types of grief dreams, like people that have nightmares of their old workplace or, or disasters, or do you guys do you guys look at that as well? No, I haven't looked at that. I really just focused on dreams after loss, like after someone passed away. Yeah. And so that's when that focus is. But they like there is these like other dreams that don't have the deceased loved one in it. Like those dreams can be very negative. Like you're running by a, a mountain and it collapses on you or something. So it reflects your waking life grief, waking life issues uh, in that way, like in, in symbolism. And so like after what I've read, like after like hurricane, like after like, you know, different events that sort of you lose things, possessions, girlfriends, like divorce or job. Yeah. yeah. Well, you'll, you probably have more negative dreams and more imagery and it would be very negative. Um, so if you've, you know, say lost your stuff to it, maybe a, a fire, forest fire, maybe searching for things um, or reliving it again, uh, something like that. Like if after divorce, if someone's cheated on you, you may be reliving the person cheating on you or the, the partners in the dream, you know, with someone else and, you know, it causes you discomfort. And so like, so after trauma, you should be having, like it, it's research has shown that negative dreams are what you should, we should be having, like it's very common. But for after someone dies, they're not when it comes to the deceased being in the image. So that's what's fascinating about this this area is that it doesn't make sense with the rest of loss or ah. the rest of different grief. So like there's something special about when the deceased is in the imagery what you're, what it turns out to be. It tends to be more comforting. It tends to be more positive. And it doesn't make sense based on that, based on the other research. So I'm trying to say, so it's, it makes a lot of people and it should make a lot of people in different areas of dream research to trauma, to, to grief, what's going on here? Because this, this shouldn't happen. So is like, is this like a coping mechanism? Like what's going on? Because the brain's not allowing you to remember these negative dreams if you are even having them. Yeah, or I mean, really, it could be pointing to evidence of, you know, of of you know different dimensions and and life after mm-hmm. death, and us actually, you know, this isn't just a physical reality. I mean, it could. I mean, really, I feel like this is really important for for that type of evidence, just like the you know the psychic stuff or the precog evidence or lucid dreaming mm-hmm. or OBEs or all that stuff. I mean, it's it seems to be you know important research in that way, proving that this isn't just a materialistic world. Yeah, and I think it helps a lot of people with that because it's very difficult just with your own rationale to conceive of that. And and I think when you have these experiences, it just gives you that extra extra support and extra experience to to go to the next level in your faith or, or your belief to really sort of, you know, drive it home that it is real. And I think it, you know, it helps some. I said like other people who have these dreams, it still helps them. So I think, you know, because a lot of these dreams are positive, a lot of people say, um, even if they're not spiritual, uh, one way it helps them is that their last memory of them is usually them suffering if they're in a hospital or they're in a casket. And so it's never been, it's not really a positive memory. And so what's going on, I think too, is when you have these comforting dreams, now your last memory 
is a positive memory. So it could be also a memory play to, to as people move forward to give you an experience that so your last experience wasn't negative. Yeah, it's very it's very interesting about the stuff. And at the, unfortunately, we don't have the tools to sort of like prove if there's an afterlife or not. But you know, I think this is a good glimpse of what's going on in the minds of people, and it gives support to that for for some people. But you can never prove it. Like as I always say, like you need to. The only way to prove it that these dreams is like you'd have to talk to the deceased. And you can't really do that through, you know, a scientific instrument. Uh, so because you can't, you're left with how does it make you feel and does it help you move, as you move forward? And I think that's the most important thing um, on your journey is like, is it helping you? Cool. All right. Like if it's a visitation or not, like that's that's up to you. Like I'm not going to tell you one way or another. I think uh, a big issue is when people do have these experiences, they're easy. They're really eager to jump on the boat on whatever they believe. So they want to like... If it if they are not spiritual, they want to tell a person it's not it's not a spiritual dream. Um, but if they are spiritual, they want to jump and say it is a spiritual dream. And so I think it doesn't really matter. Like if you're good with what you believe, allow them to believe whatever they need to. So there doesn't seem to be like you don't have to believe. There doesn't seem to be that element of it. Do you notice like the same sort of numbers with believers and non-believers, or is that something you're even yeah, so, monitoring? Yeah. So. Yeah, so actually there was one question that, you know, is it because people are just spiritual and so they have these dreams more often and, and that has no effect. So um, your spirituality, that doesn't actually do anything. So, you know, it's very interesting on that that point where it's, you know, everyone's having these. It doesn't matter really what you believe, you know, like for the most part. Um, you know, everyone's having them, like all different races. So we haven't found anything with all, you know, genders, same thing, like doesn't have any effect. So like, I think this is what's beautiful about this subject is it crosses like all of humanity as a part of this. And they're having these experiences. doesn't matter what culture you come from, like they happen. Hmm. So, so, I mean, yeah, proof will be, will be very difficult. Evidence is, is different because, you know, mm -hmm. you could call a lot of, a lot of this stuff, you know, anecdotal evidence or at least some sort of mm -hmm. evidence. But, but if we were to put all that aside and you were to speculate on like, on the future in 20 years or what, what we will know of scientifically, like, do you think we're on the road to, pr to proving something like, or have you, you must've thought about this and I know it must be difficult, you know, doing your, your PhD research and stuff. You don't really want to go out there on a limb, but I mean, in, on this podcast, we can speculate all we want. So is there any feeling that you have about where we're going to be at in, in 10, 20 years with all this? Well, in 20 years, hopefully more people will be doing the research. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think, you know, in 20 years, oh, just even going to dream research, uh, hopefully in 20 years, you'll be able to actually see what you're dreaming. And if you can start seeing what the person is dreaming in a lab setting. So there's been like some pilot studies that looked at this and there's been some cool, cool findings that they like, you know, they can see some, they can understand some bits and pieces of what you're dreaming already uh, just through different methods and stuff. Anyways, wow. so I can see in 20 years that uh, they'll be able to see what you're dreaming. And so if they can see what you're dreaming, if you're having one of these dreams, like say like a visitation dream or what you would call it, they'd be able to figure out what parts of the brain are lighting up. And I think that would be a really big thing because you can see, are they different in other dreams? And that's the first step because you need to know that and like what parts of the brain are firing and like, mm -hmm. why is that? And I think that would be the way to, I think, go about it. 
Um, but yeah, that's, I think the future of dreams for sure is to, and then it's like the inception stuff and you start like, then you, after you can see dreams, maybe you can manipulate them a little bit too. <laughs> what, what about the future of our culture though? Like what about the, what about our paradigm? Is that going to shift? Like with all this different research that you and others are doing? I think, well, not many people are doing this, but uh, when it comes to, I think this topic, it's definitely pushing people to to take the topic um, as valid. I think by taking it, by walking that thin line between the two sort of, you know, the people who don't and the people who do believe it's visitation, and you walk it like such a, a thin line between the two, basically saying, you know, you're both right, you know? What, but what that does, I think, is it helps people to listen to the other side. And so I think it would help people start understanding the significance of these dreams mm. in people's lives. So they start asking about it. And the sad thing is right now, people don't get trained in this topic because there's no there's no real research out there like before. So people are that are helping the bereaved, they just don't know anything about it. So they don't talk about it and they uh -huh. avoid the subject. Yeah. And so like my goal is to say like, hey, like, there's research on this now. Now you can talk about the subject. Now we can actually start having conversations and allow people to share all the stuff and experiences that they're going through. And that will in itself will help people start maybe even believing more. But it's like without that research, people just, they don't take it as anything. And that's our culture. You need the research for it to be valid. And it's probably not a lot of people that want to pay for the research. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, you, there's a reason why people haven't done it. And I just can't figure out why. But um, <laughs> here I, you know, like here I am, though, like doing this stuff. And I, and I think it's great because, you know, like by doing this stuff and having people support it, I think it should be a, a new, there should be a push in the academic literature. And then because of that push in like the way people counsel and what people talk about. And it's so fascinating how many people have come up to me and say, like, they have never shared this dream. It's been 40 years. Like to me, it's, that's so bizarre, like something that's so life changing for them. And they've kept it a secret for so long because they're afraid of judgment. So I think first it's about like incorporating these dreams into just grief in general and what's common with that. And then we can take it to the next level. But if we don't acknowledge that they exist, well, how are we supposed to, you know, you know, see the different you know parallels or to, to see the different sides of this stuff for people. So I think it's like first for them, for our culture is to acknowledge that this exists and it's, and it's more common than people think. And when uh, a couple of studies have done, so with uh, when it came to after spousal loss, uh, around 85% of people within the first year dreamt of the deceased person. And after pet loss, it was over 70%. So a huge number of people are dreaming of their loved ones. Even after a miscarriage, it's around 50%. So there's these, this is huge percentages and yet they, no one's really taken it seriously. So I think those numbers are going to surprise a lot of people to make them actually start learning about the topic. And so, yeah, I'm excited for what, you know, what the future holds when it comes to this topic and, you know, what kind of impact it has on people's views and beliefs. How far are we from me being able to like hook up to this machine or <laughs> Graham's laughing at me or set it beside my bed and it like records all my dreams and I can watch them the next day or it even like maybe it gives me a little highlight reel. Because yeah, I don't yeah. think yeah, you nobody, skip to the good yeah, parts. Nobody remembers all their dreams, I don't think. No, right? no. nobody it's no, not no, possible. Yeah. yeah, there's too much going on. How long? And you said like you know, you're hoping like you're thinking about ten years. So the one the one research that's uh, going on right now is what they do is they flash images in front of you and then they map the the brain pattern of 
I think I'm saying this right, the, the brain pattern of, you know, what lights up when you look at different images, then they, well, this person is dreaming. If those similar, you know, neurons sort of light up, then they understand that you're dreaming of that. And so what they do is they wake you up and say, what are you dreaming about? And they say, oh, I'm dreaming of a red car. Oh, cool. We have your dream of a car based on your neurons. So, you know, that's very like, it's a start, but there's so much more because they don't know how it interacts plays so yeah yeah. yeah yeah you're dreaming of a car or a monkey but you know is the monkey driving the car is anyone or is you know the car running over a monkey like you don't know and so so i think you know like five ten years i think that'd be a huge push um and be probably be the uh, next big advancement in the field but yeah that'd be really cool to sort of see that and then you'd be able to record your dreams that'd be interesting because technology is just like booming right like it's you just don't know the iphone and everything and how it you know virtual reality and stuff Man, if you could get to the point where you're, where the, it can interpret, a, put, you know, present like a visual image of what you're dreaming, then imagine the shortcomings of our language that's going to suddenly start to show, you know, when people can start to, because come with that, then people can start to like, is, is your version of, like, is your dream world projected the same as my dream world? Or is, you know, is mm. your sky off a little bit or you know, it could get interesting, or when people are sort of explaining different things to each other. I wonder, I wonder how that would work. I wonder if it'd be like you know, if it could transcend language in some weird sort of way. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see how it compares with other cultures and stuff. Like your dream with theirs, but yeah, it'd be I've asked people this, like, would you want to know what you're dreaming? And I've seen a lot of people said no, because <laughs> I guess the thoughts in waking life are pretty crazy. So. Uh, the dream world would probably just be the same. Oh man, <laughs> I totally love. I totally love it. I have the crazy adventure. <laughs> I have crazy adventure dreams, and I wake up and I'm like wishing, trying to grasp it and trying to remember it all. And it was just. And I'm usually, even if it gets scary, there's a calm there. Like I don't really get scared mm. in dreams either. Even with nightmares, Darren's rolling his eyes. Even with nightmares, <laughs> I kind of just know they're nightmares or something, and like just roll with it. Oh, that's interesting. I feel really a nightmare then, yeah. Yeah, 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 it's almost impossible to have a nightmare. Like where I get scared, like really scared in the dream. I mean, I I get like excited and stuff, but and maybe like that's wild. Yeah, but I think I feel like we're gonna get fear anything in waking life. Like, like I'm. I'm, That's interesting. Not really. Oh, okay, yeah. So unless (laughs) unless a fucking bug flies into the room, then look out. You say a butterfly? A bug. No, Any sort of bug will well, probably a creepy trigger looking him. bug landed on me last weekend and it was it freaked me out a bit. But it, was, <laughs> it wasn't fear, it was more of just disgust or something. I don't know. Mm. But um but I feel like I feel like <laughs> as far as technology goes, we're gonna be able to intercept something like you know how we visually see dreams, like something will just be able to record what we see somehow. Yeah, that would be, that it'd be really cool, and, and then you can share it on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> like wow. My highlight oh, reel. Could you imagine? Uh, <laughs> what was dream it? book. Dream book. It'll be its own separate thing. Yeah, dream book. Yeah, Facebook dream book. Yeah, yeah dream book. There you go. You should patent that now. <laughs> oh, shit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, register that URL. Dreambook.ca. Patent pending. So what's like, is this, is the grief... Grief dreams like the tip of the spear. Is this gonna? Is it gonna be because you're you're fairly young guy? Is this like? Is it? Are you down the the dream sort of? Is that gonna be your 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 ang your research sort of path? And if yeah. so, like, is it just gonna be grief dreams, or what's your like? What's your plan? I suppose. What's your future hold for you? 
Oh, that's a good question. If only I had a dream to tell me. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> I, uh, so the, the big plan is, yeah, like this is this is my bread and butter. Like I've labeled myself sort of a grief dreams researcher. And so, you know, I want to continue being a part of the research. I don't know if I'm not going to like work at a university because I have so much else I need to do to raise awareness. But I want to like fund a lab to be able to continue to do the stuff because I have a ton of ideas and what we need to do to move it forward. But like that's it, like my main goal is to raise awareness, to really get the culture to understand the significance of this and that it's safe to talk about this stuff in a in a neutral way. And so I do say doing these this podcast, do a lot of interviews. Um, I I want to do a lot of talks and workshops with people. I tend to be very good at that and it helps people. The one the big thing that, that I found with people who work with the bereaved is you can talk to them all day, but without them actually doing it hands on, they they don't feel comfortable. So I'd probably do something like that and you know and, and do that and then also just have like a hub. So I, I started the grief dreams that griefdreams.ca website as a basically hub for all information on grief dreams to filter through to give someone like a one-stop shop not just my research but like anything else that's going on there in the field so people have that as a starting block i think it's great so people all over the world can find it easily and after that it's just like yeah doing these talks doing the workshops and you know writing books and you know who knows maybe there's a, a documentary out there Oh yeah, I mean this is this is the sky's the limit with this subject. I think like there's people doing a lot of stuff around the peripheral that'll over- overlap, but just to have this uh, so much, so much, um, so much uh, ground to cover on this that hasn't really been been dug up yet. I mean that's great. I mean one of the reasons we started this podcast, or at least I did, is to to talk about all this stuff in a non judgmental way, just like you're just mm-hmm. like you're talking about, like people share their experiences here with us and we read them on the air and we talk about our own experiences without judgment. And I think that's, that's a big thing that's happening in our society right now. So, you know, just having platforms to, to discuss this stuff and not be judged or, you know, be uh, criticized or ridiculed or anything like that. I think that's really important. So do you, can you talk a little bit more about your podcast and what kinds of uh, episodes you have on there? Yeah. So yeah, same thing. Yes, yeah, same thing. You guys. We just I wanted a place to be able to actually talk about the subject in a sort of a safe space to give people more of what my research can't, which is sort of this qualitative nature, these stories about their dreams and how they affected people and mm-hmm. how it affects their life. Mm-hmm. And so actually, my it was my buddy uh, Sean Ram who really wanted to do a podcast, and I'm like, well, this is the only thing I'm really good at right now. <laughs> so, so we uh, we put our two brains together and came up with this, and it's actually been really cool. It's been a really good process, and met a bunch of like new people and like through it, and just learned a ton more about you know people's journey with these dreams. And I always like to ask at the end, like, what dreams people want to have, because I think that is just as important because. It, it tells something about what you're longing for in waking life and what you haven't received or what you you want a little bit more of. And, you know, I think that's cool. So it'd be, it'd be uh, that's sort of the thing we're on. We're just filming our, or doing our 50th episode. And so we just really started this year, uh, the beginning of the year. So it's just been, it's been fun. It's been a fun little journey. And then the Grief Dreams Facebook group is another place that I sort of put up because there's no place people could talk about their dreams together. And so this is a place where people can comment on each other's dreams and, you know, share their dream experiences, positive or negative. And, you know, I'm always there like to to help answer some questions, especially when it comes to the negative dreams to get people understanding. I think, you know, that's it just it's amazing to sort of see people come together as a community on this stuff. Because that's something that, you know, 
oh, it's, it's, it's close to my heart uh, for many reasons. So it's, it's nice to see this stuff, uh, you know, occur. So yeah, if you, if you're, if you have your own sort of dreams, you know, join the Facebook group and, you know, feel free to listen to the, uh, the grief dreams podcast, uh, when you get a chance, because yeah, like there's, there's just good stories, a good story in there. Do you have to be local or to, um, participate in the experiments? Oh, no, no. In, in the experiment or like in the, the studies? Yeah, like can we, can we enroll Graham? <laughs> yeah, he's got some experiences. Yeah, so right now I, I do a lot of my data collection online, uh, which is a great way to uh, get a large number of participants really fast. So we go through MTurk, which is nice. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's how I collect my data. So, but yeah, like to do the experiment stuff, like in a lab, you need to be close by and I'm not there yet. And I'd also need a sleep lab, which I don't have and a bunch of funding, which I don't have yet. So once, once those things happen, yeah, like bring Darren in the lab and we'll, uh, no, 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 what kind of stuff know, would Darren. you do in a lab, I guess? <laughs> the you one just... who, uh, who points someone out is the one who goes first. <laughs> yeah, Darren, no, Darren can't remember dreams. He's too, he's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Smokes a bit too much. Medicine. Is that what it is? Medicine, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, so I want to I want to actually talk about a couple of dreams. I got a couple of dreams here I want to share. Yeah, yeah to, absolutely. To people, because people love dreams, right? So uh, the first one is um, just a transformational power of these dreams. So here's a guy sorry, that sorry, transformational lost his what? friend to suicide. Power. And so here, uh, here's his dream. I found myself back in grade one. Grade one class, all my friends and buddies were there. We were all kids again. I was seeing one old friend after another in this classroom setting. I knew I was dreaming and I knew my deceased friend could be there like everyone else. I should mention part of this that this guy was, after his friend committed suicide, he went to a spiral depression and he started using, became a drug addict, using drugs. His relationship was on the, on the fritz and he said he probably wouldn't have lasted if his wife wasn't there to actually uh, support him. And so I can continue on with this dream. So I looked and looked, turned around, and he was sitting directly behind me with the most amazing smile. And his thumb was up telling me he was okay. And he said, I should mention that approximately he was approximately 35, which was his actual age when he passed away. He said, the dream felt so real, so vivid that I can still see him smile today. Wow. I woke up that morning feeling incredible, like a new lease on life. I felt joy again. And I got my shit together. That dream helped me out of my darkest days. And so you said you recovered because of the secret. This guy recovered because of the dream of his, you know, of his loved one, oh, right, yeah. of his friend, right? So it's like, it's fascinating, the transformational power. It's like people do a, you know, 180 um, with this stuff. And so here's another one. Um, I know you guys like your precog dreams. I should have shared when we <laughs> talked about precog. But so here's a dream. Uh, and it's funny too, because when it comes to, uh, to precog, you, you know, like I can't really look at that because, you know, like I look at grief dreams, which, you know, the, the thing is you have to know they're dead <laughs> right, <laughs> before right. we can call it a grief dream. Oh, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so, um, so this one has a little bit of both in it. So that's why I, I could collect it. So it was a mother uh, that had the dream. I went down to the basement to take a shower. As I was walking towards the shower, I turned around and my daughter who is deceased and her boyfriend, which is still alive. We're standing there at my basement door. I asked her, how are you, how are you doing? What are you doing here? She said, her boyfriend came to say goodbye. I said, goodbye, what are you, where are you going? My daughter said, he has to go to school like me. I reply, aren't you finished with school yet? 
No, mom, it is, it is just like it is here. You go to school, you learn something, then you move on to another school and learn more. I said, okay. Her boyfriend gave me a hug and said goodbye, and then they left. And it was about two months later, the boyfriend passed away and died. Wow. So you had this, like, the, this dream was, like, telling her what life, like, you know, the purpose of life <laughs> with her daughter. But she also, like, the guy was saying goodbye, you know, um, about two months earlier. And so it's, you're just like, oh, my God. Like, there's just like, wow. Like, how, like, how crazy it is. And, like, we're going off the word that they're telling me the truth. And so given that to be the case, you're just like, it just makes you sit in the mystery of life. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. And if that's true, like you just keep learning stuff, I think that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, very, <laughs> very much so. Yeah, we're all connected, it seems, in some way. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah it's a very interesting life we live. And so here's another dream. So this one's uh, it's going to something we haven't talked about yet, uh, about a dream being continued almost, or a deceased visiting two people at the same time. So, so this is... Uh, yeah, it's good. It's, it gets good. So the, this was a daughter uh, who lost her father. And so this dream was about my father. We talked in the dream about him and my mom and that she needs, he, yeah, she needs him to come to her in the night and hug her and let her know that he is there. And so usually with dreams, it's deceased that's comforting the dreamer. Here, the dreamer is telling the deceased what to do, which is very interesting. So anyways, the next morning, my mom called and thought I would think she was crazy as she told me that dad came to her in the oh night, hugged her, told her that he loved her. I said, I told, I talked to dad last night and I, in my dreams and asked him to do that. And of oh course, we both cried. It's just like, it's like, what? <laughs> it's, it just makes you go like, what is going on here? <laughs> exactly. There's no, I mean, there's, that's just too coincidental. You can't just say that's chance, you know? I mean, that, those are the types mm-hmm. of stories that really, really make you realize like something else is going on. Swamp gas. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned, yeah. you mentioned the Facebook page. Are you on uh, any other social medias or Twitter or anything like that or YouTube or any, anything like that? Where no, I haven't gotten to, haven't gone to the video yet. That's like, I guess my next step is to uh, start actually recording myself uh, visually. But yeah, I have, uh, I have Twitter. Uh, but my uh, the thing I love the most is Instagram right now. So if you look at go at grief dreams and I just have a, the funnest time making memes. It just, it's just oh, like wow. once I realize like you could use your creativity in it, like it just I went like I go wild with this stuff. And I use a lot of my like watching movies. Like that's one of my like go to things to do. And so when if I ever see a grief dream in there, I, I get to post it. I get to make memes from like the characters I even have like these fake interviews I do with some of the characters who like lose people, <laughs> like what dreams they probably would have if they could. And so, yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's a good time. Um, but what's interesting, I think, is that our culture, I haven't mentioned this yet, but our culture is way ahead of the research. Usually research goes out there and the culture picks up on it. But this is like the culture oh, has been yes. so far ahead and just in like just looking at like just movies that are out there in the last year, there's been like seven or eight movies that actually had grief dreams. And that, so you have collateral beauty, you have Pete's dragon, Manchester by the sea, the shack, ghost in the shell, beauty and the beast. The beast had a grief dream. King Arthur full of grief dreams, war Planet of the apes. One of the apes, apes have a grief dream of, you know, so you're just like, you're looking at this stuff like, Oh my God, like this is like, there's a movement coming or there's a movement happening because all these movies are showcasing grief dreams very accurately, I might say, too. 
And so whoever's writing this stuff probably had their own experiences because the research, they wouldn't be able to get any research on it. So um, I think that's really interesting. And even, are you guys Big Bang Theory fans? Uh, no, I'm not. No, I'm, yeah. I'm not really. I've not. seen most of them. I've seen most of them, yeah. Okay, yeah. So there's a episode, there's actually two episodes where uh, there's a grief, Sheldon has a grief dream. So his friend, Dr. Proton, passed away. I don't know if you remember that episode. No, and, like, he doesn't, I don't. Oh, what okay. season was that? <laughs> I cut my cable years ago. So there's season seven was the first one. I don't know if I remember. Okay, that. yeah. If you haven't seen it, you haven't seen it because it's about half the episodes is grief dream <laughs> that he has. So like he loses his friend Dr. Proton, and so he doesn't go to the funeral and he goes to bed instead. And he has this like wonderful, very funny, but very comforting dream. And you know, it takes like 10 minutes and he goes through this thing. And I think it's amazing. I saw that. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, it's such a like a blockbuster show and showcasing the comforting effects of these dreams. And then like two seasons later, he has another dream. And what's fascinating, it wasn't about his grief. It was about something different. And I think this is, and we haven't talked about this yet, how dreams change over time. But so this time it was like Sheldon was uh, having difficulties with uh, wanting to have sex with Amy. And so Dr. Proton comes to help him and reassure him and like give him advice and stuff about <laughs> that. <laughs> and so, Which is kind of cool because that's how it really dreams would have seen is that dreams sort of shift like that. How it's, you know, it's, it's about your loss or what you're longing, you know, like what you need to sort of to help your grief. And then once that's sort of like good, you'll have sort of these dreams where they're still like vivid and very comforting. But now they're talking about problems that you're going through. Let's say if you had a breakup, well, let's talk about the breakup. If you're, you're, you have another thing, you have problem solving, they come to you. And so it's very interesting to see how they do change over time and you're not getting the same thing over and over again. Yeah, that just reminded me of that another one of my sisters and my dad. So my sister was going to quit her pool league. She plays in a pool league. And uh, my dad came to her in a dream and gave her a pool cue and a dress. And she ended up she ended up playing in two different leagues this year instead. And she's so like another one of those just like many, many wow. shifts. And it's not like... She was Does like, she well, now I'm going nice to go to pool. Well, <laughs> <laughs> she might argue that one a little bit. I think well, she's, she's, she's taking that in a different. Nice, <laughs> nice boy there. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah. So, I mean, that's so interesting. Yeah. And that's why I, that's why I, um, I agree with what you say there about our culture. And that's why it kind of. And it, it, it kind of frustrates me. I don't want to say annoy or pisses me off, but it frustrates me that our scientific paradigm is so far behind. You know, and I know that the evidence isn't there, but it's just the lack of acceptance. You know, you still have this, we're really still run by the skeptical materialist paradigm. And, and you know, our culture and our people, people believe and people know that there's something else there. But um, that's why I kind of asked you about those, you know, those sort of paradigm paradigm questions because i feel like it's important i feel like our, we're in a schizophrenic society and our culture is it believes this and our people you know the people believe in this stuff but yet it's not accepted in our you know in our academia and, and scientific mm -hmm. uh, you know materialism yet yeah and like you that's why i said like people look at research to validate that it's something worthwhile yeah yeah or it exists and so i yeah. think that's why it's great the the work that I'm doing is really showcasing that it, you can study this stuff and doesn't you know like you could look at how people's you know views of these I actually I did for my MA thesis how people sort of viewed these dreams and why they're memorable 
and that's one stuff, but this is more of the, you know, the, the quantitative data that they're really looking for. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that's what they really take seriously. So it's like finding an, a question that needs to be answered. And this is sort of right there, right in their, their alley. So next it's going to be like, what, what factors predict dreaming of having a comforting dream versus a negative dream. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking your trauma, grief, even your attachment styles probably predict what kind of dream imagery that you're you're having. Mm-hmm. And so all that sort of stuff is going to be, you know, also a new push in this field. Because those are, you said, like the huge questions that people are asking and no one has sort of the answer. So it's nice how we're going to have like the first glimpse. And then you have to also, you know, you got to replicate the stuff and do it different populations because people with different types of losses have different type of dreams. And so I'll, I'll share a little bit with child loss. So if someone loses a child, what's very interesting about these dreams and how they, they're different from those that say if you lose a spouse is that when you lose a child, you're a lot of times you're playing and with adult dreams, like if you lose an adult, no one's ever playing. <laughs> like it's very, it's so interesting. How about with children, you're playing and I'm like, man, like this is crazy because it just showcases how we're so serious. You know, like what we need is like, we, we do a lot of words with adults, right? But with kids, they love to play and that's what gave us comfort when we, when we have that relationship with that bond. And so we're just not playing enough, I think, as 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 adults anymore. You know, like we don't have that that, that kid spirit. So that's the one thing. The other thing is that uh, what's really unique is the kids. If you lose a child, you may dream of them as if they're growing up in, in waking life. So if they die at two in two years, you're dreaming that they're four, oh, and then on and on. But wow. when it comes to let's say if you lose your parent, you're not dreaming of them as they get older. You know, like more gray hair in a wheelchair. You know, like that doesn't. I've I've never seen that yet. But what I've seen is the opposite. So they go down. So they go back to a, a point where they're healthy. So if they died when they're 90, they could be more like 40 or 30. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's very interesting. It's just an interesting like tidbit of you know like of you know, what's going on here? Because it's a theme, right? Like I can only say like this theme exists. Exactly. And then other people can sort of say like, that's weird. Why would that occur? Um, same thing with pets. Like what's interesting with pets is that it has a similar theme with children is that there's a lot of playing going on. And I've only seen a couple of dreams where the pet actually talks to the, uh, the owner. <laughs> it's, a, it's a dream world, right? And so I guess the one, the one dog um, told the owner that it's okay for him to get a a new dog. So I think that was fascinating. So it must've been something that he was, you know, debating. Um, but yeah, so the dog actually <laughs> told him that. So it's just like, you're like, wow. Like, so like how they get you or how these dreams get you to change behaviors in waking life is very, very interesting. And I should also mention, cause oh, you, you said something that I want to say, Oh, I want to comment about the, the belief shit, how people's oh, yeah. beliefs can shift. Yeah. Yeah. So a dream came back to me that someone told me. And so it was basically, it was a very comforting dream. They basically told me they're okay, that they loved them. Anyways, the feeling in the dream when they woke up, they they weren't religious and they didn't believe in an afterlife, but that dream made them question that. And so because they questioned that, they looked for a religion to make sense of the afterlife. I think is very interesting. To, so not only like your behaviors change, but like your belief system and structure can change. Some people doesn't, but like this person, it did. And I think that's interesting in itself because it can also lead people to sort of this, this belief that maybe they didn't have before. Wow. Yeah. I think your research is really, is really important and it's got uh, implications for therapy, it seems as well. I mean, there's all these different types oh. of uh, therapy that people are doing, whether it's past lives or 
or even grief therapy and, and all this kind of stuff, if people could use your research and, and help people through their dreams or through their the grieving process by acknowledging or even just accepting their dreams, that might be huge. Yeah, I think it will. Like, and they said, like my research already has shown that, you know, people are getting great comfort from this stuff. And they're also people who um, have these negative dreams are very worried. And so, and they need to talk about them. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like as a therapy in itself, it's, you know, that's why I really want to train these people to start asking the question because there's a lot of good information that they could use and where to focus their time because you could focus there's so many issues in grief you could focus on but the dreams really telling you about a specific um a specific point to focus on and there's reason for that and i think if we can actually look at that and start talking about this stuff more openly man like i think it's going to be easier for people to start healing um than it was before Did, and i should also go ahead I was going to mention too that, you know, like, so these are the dreams I started talking about, you know, dreams. We talked about dreams right after loss. We talked about dreams like sort of a little after, um, how they sort of changed where you are. But there's also dreams at end of life. I haven't looked at these specifically, but I've, uh, there has been some research on that area, which is really nice. And so these dreams are usually have the deceased um, there and present, but they actually reassure the person um, that they're going to be there or they're waiting for them. And so, it helps people actually transition from life to death. I think that, so it gives them that comforting feeling that they, they can let go. Wow. Wow. So, um, oh, what was I going to say there about that? Um, that last part there. Um, hmm, I lost it. Hmm, diseased. Uh, yeah. I can come to you in a dream tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I think it's it's really it's really good. It's really oh, I know Young Carl Young did what did he talk about yeah. uh, grief dreams at all? It's funny, yeah, it's funny you bring it up. So he he did write a book, uh, and so he did his his own dream work, right? Yeah, and yeah. and so there's a lot of Jungians are trained in uh, the way to analyze dreams, mm -hmm. and yeah. so at first, so when he first developed this stuff, he would have said, and he did say that dreams of the deceased are just a part of the psyche. Yeah. Just yeah. like everything else. Yeah. And so a lot of Jungian psychologists and people who do Jungian dream interpretation, when they look at someone's dream, they don't ever say it's a visitation. They don't go there. I think it's uh. a, a very, very bad thing because now you're, if you tell the person that, you're you're diminishing their own experience. It's like when I've had pastors say to people that who have a dream of the sea that it's the devil. So like imagine something comforting turning then into something that's not comforting yeah. or something you, something that made you feel like there was something more and, and made you feel they were safe. And now you're taking that away. It's just stupid. It's just really bad. bad. <laughs> it's very bad advice. So people just don't understand what they're doing. And so, you know, some young psychologists will go there and just say, it's just a part of the psyche. And, you know, so but what's interesting is a lot of them with a lot of people I've, I've met that, you know, do this stuff. They, they don't know that by when he was getting older, he actually wrote on this again. And when he did, he said basically that his dream that he had after his wife passed away uh, started helping him believe and a little bit in something that it could be something more. And then he started hearing stories about this stuff, um, which was a little more different than he experienced. And he said, if we were going to study the afterlife, the first place he would start was with these dreams of the deceased. Wow. And so, so that's his statement. That was one of his last writings before he died. And so 
you started thinking about it. interesting. So in the how his life changed after his own wife passed away and yeah. his dreams changed. So it's yeah, it's it's you know, so young would say that this is a good point to actually a good topic to look at um, to try to like try to figure out what is the afterlife um, and what is it all, like based on. Yeah, and like what happens? What happens? To the guy, there is a. Uh, I do have a dream that uh, someone actually had a question uh, in waking life of what dying was like, and it was just on their minds. Anyway, so their child passed away, and and they had this dream, and so this woman asked, um, I asked how how heaven is, and her son, it's so beautiful, it's such an amazing place. I am so happy there and free of pain. I see grandpa and grandma from time to time. <laughs> then I then I asked. What's dying like? And he said, it's so dark at first. I couldn't see a thing. Then some really nice guy came and met me. He shook my hand and said, come with me. It wasn't God or Jesus. I can't remember his name. And then what seemed like a really long time, he opened a door and it was the most beautiful place you could ever see. I'm so happy there. And wow. so this dream, like not only comforted her because she got to see her son, she was okay, but also helped her with what answering that question, what dying is like. So now she knows. As she sort of, you know, moves forward in, in life. So it'd be cool if there's a lot of dreams. So you start getting similar dream themes like that. It could point a direction into, especially through different cultures, it could point a direction into what's maybe going on. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we did talk quite a bit about, um, it, you know, it, becoming lucid in a dream and asking your higher self or asking the one consciousness or whatever, those questions and getting some really profound answers. So, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but, it, and when you actually, when you go to, uh, different cultures, what's interesting is people have different interpretations on what these dreams are based on your, your religion. Yeah. And so th there has been an article that talked about the Cambodian belief and which is, um, Buddhism, uh, the, and basically Buddhism believed in reincarnation. So this author basically was writing and said that when people, had these dreams, comforting dreams, same thing, like they tell them they love them, they're okay. It's actually when they wake up, the, the person, the dreamer is actually discomforted by that because they think it's a sign that they're not reincarnated and non-reincarnated oh. souls can actually impact your health of, of you and your soul and your body. And so they actually, then they perform these merits to try to get them reincarnated. So it's very interesting. And so I thought, oh, all people who are Buddhist believe that. And then I've realized along the way, it's not true. So even within different religions, people have very different views on this stuff. So another person, remember that was Buddhist, I asked them about it and they said, no, like it was a comforting dream. They're just, you know, they'll reincarnate when it's time. It's not a big deal. I'm like, oh, okay. The other one said, oh, like they've reached Nirvana. They don't have to. It's like, well, that's convenient. <laughs> like so, <laughs> and, and so like you see like their interpretation has a big belief. So I think even how you interpret the dream, it's not even based on your religion, but how you interpret it can say a lot about who you are. Yeah, for sure. So be positive. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, of course. And if people tell you something different, question their, uh, question why they're saying that. Because it said like I've... So the bad advice, I'd like to get to that too. <laughs> I said like how like pastors and pastors will believe that this is a devil trying to trick you, which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing, you know, like I said, there's nothing in the Bible for that to support that. And to go against that, I've seen a bunch of dreams of the deceased that have Jesus with the, the person. So it, it's really funny to, you know, talk to these pastors because, <laughs> because I would always go with, you know, so do you believe Jesus can visit? They always say yes. 
And then when you say they're deceased, they say no. But then we're like, what, what happens when they're together? And then they're like, <laughs> then they have nothing to say. <laughs> they just don't know, right? They just don't know. But I mean, and that so, could be a really good way to change the paradigm of that religious paradigm is to talk to yeah. these pastors and tell them, give them this stuff and say, look, like, you know, stop the fear mongering. Yeah. And I think that's one study as I move forward is to really showcase that there is this divide in the in all religions about how people view these dreams, because that's something they should maybe get together on and talk about because it's yeah. so common after loss. Yeah. So that's a big one, even like, you know, doctors. So there's different doctors where <laughs> I was talking to this one guy and his doctor basically told him his, his dreams of the deceased were because of medication he was on, <laughs> which has no validity whatsoever. There's no scientific research on that. And, but the guy thought they were meaningful. And so he was basically downplaying his meaningful experience. Oh, and yeah. so it was great that I got to talk to him because I got to shed meaning on his dream and, and say, no, like you're, you're accurate. And so it was kind of nice to actually have more seniority than like, you know, medical doctor <laughs> for once. And right. uh, so that was nice. So it was nice. But like, you see all this like bad judgment going on. People will say some crazy stuff. I remember I had uh, one person even say like, if you dream of multiple people, multiple dead people in the dream, it means someone close to you is going to die. <laughs> like, it was just, I'm like, what? Like, where do people come up with this stuff? <laughs> but I guess that that's maybe like she heard it along the way. You'd think she'd probably didn't just make it up. Um, but like, and then I go and I told her and I told the person, like other people too, there, that what, what my research shows is when you have multiple people, deceased relatives in your dream, it actually represents healing is occurring. Because huh. usually in the beginning, it's more one-on-one because -on -one, it's probably what you need. But then you have other people, other deceased people will come come around. And so that's more comforting, you know, like to say someone's going to die, people will go crazy with that. They may think they're going to die, you know, like, and so, you know, so it's like really understand, like people will think the worst of a lot of situations. And so it's like, you really have to watch what you say and what advice, even though you think it may be helpful, um, it may not actually be, may actually hurt them in the process. Well said. Well, mm, I suppose thanks. that's... Uh... <laughs> It's probably a good place to. It's probably a good place to wrap it up. A good bit to digest there. I do. This is an interesting avenue that not a lot of people are going down. So I'd be interested to, to check back with you. Yeah, in that's a year what I was, think, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah, time flies by so much. Like when? Are you, when are you? Uh, this is your last year in your uh, for your PhD. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So I have. I have to finish this one study and then I have to write it up and then more or less be done. So it'd probably be by the end of next summer, I'm thinking, uh, around that time. And then, yeah, you can call me doctor after that. <laughs> yeah, man, you should, you should come back on when you're, when you start your next, um, you know, whatever your next like level of research is after you get your doctorate and we should uh, do this again. I mean, it's, I think you're really doing some important work here and fascinating work and it kind of complements a lot of the other stuff we talk about all the time. And, uh, yeah, really looking forward to seeing where this is going to go. Thanks. I appreciate the uh, the warm welcome to come back on because it like really a lot of issues when it comes to people when they do research is no one knows about it until years later. And I think now it's because like you had this podcast, like I get to share some details that no one would ever know. Exactly. And, and so, you know, thank you for having me on and, and willing for me to come back on to share what's going on. It really helps people actually learn about the topic and take it more seriously. Yeah, for sure. And we'll put all, all the links to all your stuff in the show notes. And um, at yeah. least 17 people know now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every person counts. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Thanks, Joshua. You have a great night. <laughs> all right. Okay. Thanks. You too. Take care. <laughs> Bye. That was our chat with uh, Joshua Black, soon to be PhD.
What do you think, buddy? That was a sleeper. That was one of those that kind of came out of nowhere, yeah? Yeah, sleeper. Get it? Uh, were you sitting on that one? No, I just came up with it right now. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was awesome. I love it. And I love that there's a ton of research there. I never really thought about it like that. A whole little um, niche there of stuff to be, you know, analyzed and scrutinized. And, and he seems very open to it. Very cool. Absolutely. Very knowledgeable. Absolutely. Yeah. So check out the show notes. Check out his websites to see how you guys can keep uh, supporting Joshua's work. That's uh, important stuff. And as long as you're on the internet, you might as well check out gramerica.ca slash support. And check out how you can keep uh, supporting our research over here so we can keep sharing it with you. If you're getting value from the program, see if you can sign up for a monthly there and send a little value back our way as we roll into winter. Uh, it's getting yeah. cold. Could always use a little more support. If you can't afford to do a monthly, maybe you could do a one-time donation. And if you can't do that, there's a slew of other things in the show notes. Review the show. Review the show. Share the show. Spam the show. Share, sign people up for the newsletter, all sorts of stuff. Big thanks to my sister for coming on, or not for coming on, but for letting me butcher her dreams, because I'm sure she's going to listen to that and go, Jesus, fuck. Yeah. Go meet that and, dude at the pool hall. And thanks to my dad for the divine intervention. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. If you could touch infinity, I think that your hand would fall.
Hailstorm damage got you blue? Sunburn get you let down? Well, introducing the new Gem Trails. Gem Trails are a convenient new chemtrail that we plow through your sky to ensure you with the haziest and non-blue sky that you could have. Gem Trails. Choose from our variety of geo-engineered aerosols loaded with toxic chemicals. Some chemicals may include barium, strontium-90, aluminum, cadmium, zinc, viruses of all sorts and varieties, and chafe, which actually looks like snow, but may actually be fibers coated with aluminum, desiccated blood cells, plastic, and paper. All chemtrails can be conveniently customized for your needs. Just ask our friend here, James Cruz. Gem Trails. James Cruz ordered the barium, strontium 90, and the chafe. And the chafe he chose was desecrated blood cells in plastic. Gem Trails. So I'm sitting in my backyard getting sunburned constantly. And I hear this ad come on the radio. Gem trails. Gem trails. And what they can do for you is amazing. For 33 payments of $333. Gem trails. No more sunburn. Thanks, gem trails. Gem trails. Thanks, gem trails. Gem trails. That's right, James. For 33 easy payments of $330, you too can have a hazy sky with zero sun and zero sunburn. With our brand new technology coming straight out of MIT, we fitted an airplane with nozzles and we can come to any area in the world and spray your backyard. Chemtrails. Warning, warning, warning. Symptoms associated with chemtrails include aneurysms, strokes, heart attacks, and cancer. Chemtrails. Other side effects may include irradiated breast milk, anal leakage, jock itch, runny nose, irregular vaginal discharge, glaucoma, heavy metal poisoning, lockjaw, and low sperm count, persistent hacking, coughing, upper respiratory and intestinal distress, pneumonia, extreme fatigue, disorientation, lethargy, dizziness, splitting headaches, elevated arthritis, symptoms, nosebleeds, blah, 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 blah yada, yada, etc., etc., doctors, blah, 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 uh, death. If you want it, we spray it. So get your gem trails today. Gem Call 1-900-GRAY-SKY. That's 1-900-GRAY-SKY. That's 1-900-W-E-F-U-C-K-E-D. Thanks, gem trails. Gem trails. <laughs> <laughs>